Write that. Write that down, Fumi Saito. Hello from Burbank, California. I'm back in the States. What's going on, people? Write that down. Classic edition for you this week. Fumi and I talking all things Genichiro Tenru. Mr. Pro Wrestler himself. These were originally published on uh, the Fight Game Media Patreon. On the Patreon page. So if you are so inclined to check more of these episodes out, these classic episodes, please go over to patreon.com backslash Fight Game Media. Sign up for the super cool Patreon page. Patreon monthly subscription and you can listen to those old episodes and pound for pound in the clinch mma podcast and dynamite show and power bombshells and if you haven't already please subscribe to the fight game media podcast feed apple spotify downcast stitcher audible google play all that good stuff. All right. Gonna share with Tenru, Mr. Pro Wrestling Parts 1 and Parts 2. Part 2. Parts 1. And Part 2. This is Write That Down. I'm Justin Nipper and I'm here with Fumi Saito. Welcome back, Fumi. Hello from Tokyo. It's good morning from Tokyo. Good morning, that's right. And good evening from the United States. So... Today is a special day because we're going to start talking about a very important pro wrestler from Japan, really important in a, a number of different ways to pro wrestling in Japan. We're going to talk about Genichiro Tenyu, former sumo wrestler who became pro wrestler, who traveled to the States, traveled back to Japan, and just wouldn't stop. Uh, the, the, there's nothing that really could stop him other than himself when he stopped in uh, 2015 against this generation's big star, uh, Kazuchika Okada, 40 years of yeah, uh, being on top. Strong career, yes. And also he was a superstar with all Japan, giant Baba's all Japan. And then he became, you know, like a new uh, 90s era that there was a whole bunch of new wrestling, you know, new companies started and he was one of them. I'm talking about SWS, Super World Sports. There was a kind of ill-fated but the big money company coming into the industry and he was the, the, the vehicle to run the big company. Then he had another round with New Japan. Mm-hmm. You know? Then uh, there was a, you know, during the wrestling's, Japanese wrestling's dark age, he was a star with Hustle, remember? Ooh. Yeah. yeah. Uh. Then at the end, end of this, in you know, a long illustrated wrestling career, he appointed Katsuchika Okada to be his very last opponent. So he mm. started from Giant Baba era all the way to Okada era. That is a really long career. And he also was a pretty influential promoter mm-hmm. at, for WAR. Yeah, um, yeah. SWS, WAR. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and actually secretly signing contract with New Japan. And uh, he worked as an outsider. You know what I'm saying? Like an invasion kind of angle that the Japanese heel that doesn't necessarily work for New Japan. But he, well, actually, he was under contract with New Japan, but he always treated like an outsider, like a much like NWO kind of philosophy, you know? Yes. And uh, yeah, and uh, every, he had a single match against every single talent. There was Ricky Choshu, oh, Antonio Inoki, of course, Ricky Choshu, Fujinami. 
Amitu Muto, Hashimoto, Chono, Kensuke, Sasaki, everybody. And uh, if, yeah. of course, there was a run. Uh, Jan, uh, yeah, well, the early, early 90s, be, right before SWS, there was a strong, a strong program. Jumbo Truda against Jumbo uh, Ten, Tenru as heel. It mm-hmm. was big. And they were former tag partners as well. Right. That's why it was really big. Yeah. They... Giant Baba, Giant Baba, All Japan doesn't run like American style storyline angle that much. They, if you remember, Stan Hansen, Bruce Body, they never had this promo, you know, like a storyline, backstage skit, no mic. But uh, there was a time that uh, you turn Japanese baby face to a, to a, like a, not quite bad guy heel, but uh, you are leaving the puck and you become your own person, individual, therefore heel, that uh, the jum- Jumbo Tenru program meant so much that uh, who's going to be the actual leader of this company kind of thing. Mm. And they had a lot of real history together over 10 years. Yeah, from yeah, that too. They were actually not enemies. They respected each other. And they, um, John and Papa didn't think they hated each other. But uh, it was a perfect program, you know? Yeah. yeah. Imagine if a, a, a famous doubles tennis team <clears throat> suddenly had to face off against each other. It's a situation. They don't dislike each other. It's more like a competitive scenario. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, we, we, Japanese wrestling fans, you know, need believable storyline, you know, believable. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, well, let's go. Tenru had such a long career that there's a... I don't even know where to start, but uh, let's start from the very basic because uh, see, our listeners out there is today's wrestling fans, right? Mm-hmm. Basically, yeah. Basically, much sure. younger than we are. <laughs> There's an eclectic but, uh, mix of all kinds of listeners from that's uh, good. That's good. Young yeah. to anything, like, yeah. Oh, that's good though. Because if you learn history of it, you know you have better understanding. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's the full yeah. story. Yeah, and then how Japanese wrestling company run their, you know, programs and and and, and just the, not not just program, but the, it's like the drama that never ends, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. And I think there's a generation, at least my generation of fans in the states, are at least have a cursory uh, kind of. In, uh, experience with Tenu with his appearances on big WWF uh, events in the 90s. And I don't think WWF gave the full story. Um, I mean, there's a lot to unload when we're trying to learn about Tenu, but when he came to WWF, he was just a famous wrestler. Nobody really understood that. So maybe there's people out there that always and remember him. A limited appearance. Limited know? appearance, limited knowledge. Yeah, and Royal Rumble here and WrestleMania in WrestleMania here and just a, the guest star from foreign country, huh? Mm, but yeah. with no reason explained on television. Right. Just some and guy. The Gorilla, Gorilla Monson didn't, uh, you know, necessarily give the whole story during the broadcasting of your Royal Rumble. No, Royal Rumble or when at WrestleMania 7 with Kitao and... Yeah. They were in the tag uh, team match. And the, the match was, what, the seven, eight minute. That's impossible to explain who yeah. he is and what he meant. It's uh, It was uh, kind of uh, confusing at the time, to, at least when, was I, was, it, when I was six, six years old, seven years old or okay, something. Okay, right. Who the heck is this right, guy? Let's start, because uh, now it's a, a completely in an era that, the, you know, if 
these, you know, the listeners, our friendly listeners out there, you know, interested in what we're talking today, they can go back and, you know, do their own little, you know, additional research on it too. Sure. Yeah. I think we should start with, because Tenyu, he started training as an athlete when he was 14 and he started training in sumo. He was a big boy. So it's like a traditionally, you know, you know, a big boy in the countryside, you know, their relatives or your neighbors, they say, oh, send it, send your kids to sumo, sumo, right? It's like a really legitimate, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, and it's kind of like, a, it's a sport, but it's an art and it's a theatrical, but it's, you know, still fight, you know, fighting. And uh, you have, what, 700 years history in sumo wrestling and yeah, all these things. But he became sumo wrestler weeks before his 14th birthday meaning he was still 13 when he moved to tokyo and they put him in 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 school then they started training professionally when you're age of 14 in sumo you know usually there are like 700 to 800 sumo wrestlers in in the whole stable of sumo world and only 40 of them will go into the grand status yeah that's so yeah he came from a place called Fukui in Japan. Yeah, so Fukui Prefecture, yeah. It's not very popular, and I don't think, I don't know how many of our listeners out there are familiar with this place, but how would you describe this place compared to Tokyo? Because Tokyo is oh, a big, Oh, Tokyo is a New York, and yeah. Fukui is what, uh, Alabama? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> wow, yeah, yes, it's, it's out there. It's, yeah. it's out there. There's not much. <laughs> uh, there's not much. There's not. It gets pretty cold in the winter. <laughs> yeah. um, the countryside, countryside. Boy, yeah. And the yeah. big boy, yeah. So it, it, it reminds me of like a Terry Gordy, you know, being sure. 14 uh, from Tennessee and the state border. And then you can, you know, drive to Atlanta. And, oh, I mean, not Atlanta, but the, the state border of your Tennessee and, and Kentucky and Georgia. And, you know, there's a, you know, four state, you know, little corner that the, you can travel to. And then Terry Gordy, age of 14, was sent to, ten, you, know, ten, you know, the state border of Tennessee to be trained. And uh, yeah, he became wrestler, young, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah, and and they Tenyu and, and Gordy would meet up later. And yes, because, so it's a good comparison. Yeah. So so he's in sumo for how long did ten he compete? Years. Ten, ten years. Ten years. Eleven years. Yeah. And actually, he was not no name sumo wrestler. He was name sumo wrestler. Yeah. Yeah, he was wrestling Stop. in the top division, not not, not the quite uh, Yokozuna. lower division. Not mm. quite Yokozuna. Yokozuna meaning grand champion. You know, mm. Yokozuna, the Ozeki, the Sekiwake, the Komusubi, there's all kinds of hierarchy status. But he was in the grand, you know, Makunouchi status. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he, he, he's yeah even... I watched Tenru before he was a wrestler. Yes. Yeah, he beat guys like a famous sumo wrestler, Chino Fuji. He, he was... When he was young. Yeah, when he, he was younger. Yeah, he had a fight against, you know, then, then champion Wajima. Those mm-hmm. two meet up in the professional wrestling ring later on too. That's right. Yeah. In, in old Japan, yeah. Um, so he's in sumo wrestling for 10 years. He's not some, uh, you know, 11 years, yeah, 11 years fans uh, of, of wrestling, both sumo and pro wrestling. They're at least a little bit familiar with this guy. And he eventually, when he's in his mid twenties, he comes to Baba's all Japan. 26 when he was, yeah. 26. Yeah. And um, the fall of 1976. Yeah. So I don't think. There's been any other wrestlers that have done this, but there was a really kind of special traditional, uh, or not traditional or unique 
uh, entering the pro wrestling industry ceremony and leaving the sumo wrestling ceremony uh, sort of uh, right thing the they ones, did in the ring. The father of Japanese professional wrestling, Ricky Dozen, he was also a status sumo wrestler, you know, very decorated career he had. Mm. And because of Ricky Dozen, that there were a lot of former sumo wrestlers turned to pro wrestler, you know, you name maybe like traditional wrestlers. Toyonobori. Yoshi, Toyonobori, Yoshino Sato, the Azuma Fuji, the, the most of them. Yeah, all the way up down down to like a, a Haruka Eigen, you know. Mm. Yeah. Or Akira Tawe. Itawa, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Hama, yeah, Hama, recently, yes. Uh, Akebono yeah, was in yeah. pro wrestling recently. Akebono, Akebono was a grand champion, the very first, you know, grand, you know, the, the Hawaii, oh, the Musashi Maru was the first Hawaiian, someone grand sumo champion, but the Akebono was like a much, much bigger star. Mm. And uh, he had this, you know, ill-fated K-1 career before he turned pro wrestler. But yes. th- th- that's th- that's another subject for another mm. day. But um, we had a lot of lot of in Japan. We had a lot of that this former sumo wrestler turned to professional wrestler, uh, Ricky Dozen era to uh, early you know Baba Inoki era. Now we don't have too many, you know. Yeah, because I don't think sumo is as popular as it was in the seventies and eighties. Like like back still then, on it was TV, quite hot. St- yeah, st- still on NHK. It's going yeah. on right this week uh, in Nagoya. Yeah, Nadia, right, right. Yeah, grand tournament right now. Yeah. Yeah, so I, people watch that, and uh, uh, usually, you know, like uh, in like a regular home, you know, after school, you know, smoke's on TV, like three o'clock, four o'clock on, you know, so so leave it on, you know, hmm. like you leave your football TV or baseball, you know, TV and uh, that uh, game on your TV, you know, you, whether you watch it or not, you just leave it on, kind of thing. Yeah, That's it's your tradition. <laughs> yeah, like a your your grandparents' house. Yes. You're familiar with all the sounds, like the referee uh, calling the match and so on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Gyoji and all this tradition. And yeah, and then they're wrestling on sand, right? Yeah, Dohyo. Yeah, yeah. Dohyo, Dohyo. We'll have and to uh, someday they, uh, come back to it and talk more about sumo. Sumo, yeah. And also where we have like a, so many historical wrestling match, Ryogoku Sumo Hall, you know, mm-hmm. at the home of sumo wrestling. Yeah, so we share a lot of these things, you know, uh, between two different sports, sumo wrestling and, you know, American-style professional wrestling. There's a, there were a strong link to it. Very strong. And, yeah, and then, Rick, yeah, father of wrestling, Ricky Dozen. But Tenru is the most, you know, definitely one of the most influential person from that mm. in our link. Yeah. So when he started to train for pro wrestling, who were the people in charge of his training? Actually, what do you call that? You know, sending your wrestler to foreign country, you know? A uh, foreign excursion? Yeah, yeah. Actually, he didn't even debut in Japan. Jan Baba sent him to Amarillo, Texas right away. Mm-hmm. You know, much like what he did with Jumbo Tsura. He was sent to Amarillo, Texas and trained under the Funks, Dory Funk Jr. and Terry Funk. You know, so... Foreign excursion isn't exactly New Japan tradition. It's Japanese pro wrestling's tradition. Giant Baba was sent to America. Antonio Inoki was sent to America. So it's been a tradition. Ricky Dozan yeah. too. Ricky Dozan too. For like a two-year period, he spent in California. Yes. He's very popular. Yeah. So there's yeah. been that. It's continuing the tradition, and 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 mm-hmm. he was part of that. Kind of like a, you know, sending your baseball player to major league or minor league or whatever that the, you spend a certain amount of time, and when you come back, you are. 
becoming your own star kind of thing.、Mm. So, so Tenru was sent to Amarillo, Texas, and that's where he debuted. And his first match actually was young Ted DiBiase. That's right. Isn't that they, interesting? They trained together. Is that right? Yeah, I guess so. A, A lot、too. of guys were trained, like people like Tali Blanchard. Yeah, yeah. Tali Blanchard,、uh, Ted DiBiase, quite a few. Yeah. When、so、there he, was a territory in Amarillo, Texas. And also, yeah, that's、um, uh, to, now that we talked about Amarillo, Texas, the,、uh, let's briefly touch upon Terry Funk. Yeah, because the last couple of days, it's been crazy that、uh, I spoke yesterday, I spoke with somebody who spoke with Terry Funk on the phone two, two days ago. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because、uh, he's a, you know, a friend of mine who does、um, all the Terry Funk's t shirt. And、uh, ah, Haru? Haru. Yeah. I spoke、yeah. with Haru yesterday. That he spoke with Terry and Terry's daughter a couple of days ago. And、uh, they were、uh, not angry, but、uh, they just realized that's what happens in the internet era. You know, this is like、uh. almost like the, the, the source of information came from two, only two places. It was initially Dan Morocco's podcast from Hawaii. Not? Are you with me?、Mm. Yeah, that, that, you know, how Terry Funk is, you know, he's at this care home and health, you know, like a multiple health problem and he's suffering from dementia and this and this. The Dan Morocco heard this story from Scott Casey from Texas.、Mm-hmm. Scott Casey, the former wrestler. Mm-hmm. He said he visited Terry Funk recently, and this is you know, his condition. Then t- the Scott Casey told Dom Morocco,、uh, friends, right? And、uh, Dom Morocco a few days ago talked about this on his podcast from Hawaii. Then this information of how Terry Funk is getting you know, so sick and all these things like blown out of proportion. Okay.、Mm. So.、Yeah. How, how serious would you say it is well, in he's, reality? He's somebody, he's, he's like a same old Terry Funk talking and joking, you know, joking and just, just as funny as he's, you know, not like they, the, the close, the people close to Terry Funk were, were kind of angry that there's like how this dementia part got blown out of proportion.、Hmm. He's fine. He said he's fine. It's like, yeah, his wife Vicky died a couple of summers ago and then he's been living all by himself. And what would you do when you were what, the 70 some years old and living in a home, you know? And、uh, yeah, and、uh, yeah, so it's like, he, he, yeah, right. He is not the same, but he's just like, of course, you're 70 some years old and getting weak and living all by himself and he needs care. He always had bad knees and everything else. But、uh, yeah. Even on the English Twitter, Terry Funk's、yeah. name was trending today. Yeah. Yeah. So people, people are yeah, like pouring that, their hearts so, out for him. Well, that means like、uh, you know, how that tells you how popular Terry Funk still is and people care about him, which is good. And we all care about Terry Funk. You know how huge Terry Funk was and is to Japanese wrestling community, you know, for last 50 years, for Christ's sake, you know. And、uh, people want to know about, you know, you know, if anything happened to Terry Funk, that 
of course, Japanese fans, all the fans all over the world want to know about it. But this time, because of this, you know, the, how how information, you know, true or not, that travels so fast in this internet era and all these social media thing, it's like it, this information and the news story, this, you know, has his, his own life or something, right? It's really, and, uh, it takes a life of its own. Yeah, real. that's what I'm saying. Yeah, so uh, it's not necessarily really accurate. Right. Terry Funk is fine, and there's people who spoke with him, you know, on the phone a couple of days ago. Now that the people's been calling him, it's with the, the whomever has Terry Funk's home phone number. He's not exactly iPhone person, you know. He mm. has a ground phone at his house, you know, and he's not answering. So as soon as you know somebody calls him in Terry Funk's house, yes, or automatically the voicemail or answering machine comes on that worries people too you know what i mean right and uh yeah and then well he's not gonna answer every single phone calls it's the phone's been ringing off the hook right by yeah. now yeah and, uh, yeah and uh not as you know as horrible as it's been reported let's put it that way it's sort yeah. of like what happened with the new japan wwe thing Oh yeah, it's like a source was single singular source, you know. Every single wrestling website reported it, you know. But every single wrestling news site or whatever that social media wrestling website that they reported New Japan and the old Japan thing, uh, New Japan and WWE thing, it's always according to Dave Meltzer's Wrestling Observer. This is well, such and such and such. This is always a, it was like a single source information. But what the editors on the website do, they, you know, they, this web, they, yeah, they cure they cherry picked it and it goes in, you know, it's not untrue, but it was also picked because it would probably get people excited, which course, is what it did. And it all spread these, from there. And all these 50 year old wrestling fan became like a little kid. They got so excited. Oh my gosh. You know? And so many people got angry too. Yeah, that too. And but the people who were telling me it's like you know better than that. Come on, right? But they were like, oh, next year's Itenyon, next year's Tokyo Dome, January fourth. It's gonna be the uh, that the cross promotion, that the mega show, WWE superstar against New Japan superstar. This and that. I'm coming to Japan. All right. Like, <laughs> They're like little kids. <laughs> yeah, they turned into little kids. But yeah. that news was that exciting. Well, it, it, but that's because that's the nature of the news cycle, wrestling news cycle in the States right now. And in English is because the website, there's so many websites out there and they all, they're not competing for good talent or excuse me, content. It's all about getting to the news first and aggregating it first and spreading it out. It's, it's like a, it's a and game of the, it'll expire just as much, just as soon, right? Yeah, anything that will get the clicks on the website because that boosts the advertising. Yeah, that's where yeah, it's yeah. all through advertising. It's not like a news. If a good newspaper is good, people read it, but it's not like that anymore. If a news uh, a website is popular, it's because it has a lot of money from advertising because it's getting a lot of clicks. Right, right. Clicks don't and equal also, reads. Today's readership, you know, today's readers, most of them just want to you know, read the headline and maybe one paragraph. That's about it. Yeah. So they cannot read books, you know, you know, a lot of people just want to read maybe a you know, headline and maybe three lines. And after that. Yeah. And that's another thing. I mean, in Japan, the print media is still thriving, even though it's a lot different than it was 20 smaller, years ago. Smaller, though. Yeah. But yeah, compared with the, over here, 
I mean, all kinds of Japanese you know, people in general is always more reading oriented than uh, American people, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. So, so, so that's that's the portion that uh, we talked about the uh, internet and you know, how spread. It's really symbolic. It's a uh, New Japan WWE thing, and today, I mean, a couple of days ago, this Terry Funk thing and blown out of proportion. And yes, uh, yeah, it was like. I had to call Haru right away. It's like, did you hear this? Is that true? And it's like, I didn't even know, you know? And uh, yeah, it's like Terry Funk's well, okay? It's mm. like, um, he's the same funny, you know, this great sense of humor, Terry Funk, yes. I mean, people should expect any anybody in their 70s, and especially after they've been doing death matches and wrestling for 40 years. Well, it's much like, you know, the... the Tenru we're talking about today, the Terry Funk had their, like nine lives, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, very much so. I think those are two, that's a good analogy. Um, they, yeah, territory uh, days. Yeah, NWA They adapted. Days. They adapted he, to the each Japanese generation. Korea, and he even had a WWE, WWF run, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then made a strong comeback with Terry Funk against Sabu. That went into ECW, you know, the whole philosophy of it. Then, um, then that he came back in mid '90s in, in Japan. That he had another run as a, as a like a legend, you know, this time. And uh, yes, yeah, so many. I mean, like a different chapter of his career. Yeah. Mm. And same. I'm hoping you. he's gonna come back to Japan one or two more times and have one match each. I mean, just he will probably do it, you know. And uh, yeah, he's not retired. I mean, I mean, the, the one of the things that the wrestling pro wrestler never retires that the Terry Funk is one of them, you know. I, I mean, he he did say he retired a few times, but we all know well, that he made come back, you know. <laughs> he made just like the, he just like his student, his pupil, Atsushi Onita. Ah, uh, yeah, who just came oh, back uh, last o- weekend? Yeah, o- Onita patterned himself after Terry Funk. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, he. I heard the cops came to the uh, explosion match they had at the fruit the fruit stand over the weekend. Because you're not supposed to have that big of an explosive in in that indoor. Yeah, know? there was a lot of smoke. I guess the smoke was. I uh, guess, yeah, going out yeah. into the other uh, stands. Yeah, but then, what do you expect from Onita's deathmatch <laughs> show? You know, when you say Onita's FMW making comeback, you expect that. You know. But it's a different era of fans too, because these are the fans that didn't really um, witness that 25 years ago. You heard about it, you watched the video, you've seen things on YouTube, old FMW tapes, yeah, but they didn't really experience that. So this time, yeah, younger fans or the younger, not younger, but the, the ones who didn't really witness that in person back then, now that the, this is your chance, that the only does doing deathmatch again. All right, let's go. Mm. You know? Kind of thing. I don't know if it's going to be at the same scale. I mean, back in the oh, 90s. Maybe not. Maybe not. But it's 50, more like you're, you're like a rock music, you know, like, you, but, you know, Bob Seger or somebody uh, doing a concert in smaller venue, but the still same guy, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's like when your favorite band from a long time ago comes out with another yeah. new album and it's not the same, but. But the best, they, they want to see the best of, right? Mm, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's always going to be the best of Onita. Yeah. So I want Terry Funk to do one more best of Terry Funk tour in Japan. He, he might. Uh, yeah. Speaking of uh, Funk in Japan, a couple weeks ago at the All Japan, um, the big Ota Award show, 
Dory Funk Jr. appeared on the screen to send, you know, he's like the, the commissioner the president of PW, yeah, commissioner of PWF. PWF. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Pacific Wrestling Federation. That's like the, uh, if you study the history of all Japan pro wrestling, PWF actually it's, it never existed, right? Mm, it's just you a know? body. It's just a, a fake body of, uh, I don't know, I guess. Yeah. Like so a, they didn't want to say, you know, the heavyweight, you know, world heavyweight champion recognized by all Japan pro wrestling. It's a lot better to have your headquarter in Hawaii. And the first president was a uh, Lord James Blair's probably mm -hmm. PWF office was in his apartment, right? <laughs> yeah. In, in Honolulu, which is fine, which is fine. But the Lord James Blair was, was a superstar American wrestler from Ricky Dawson era. That helps, you know. It's like, wow, the real deal come in. Uh, you announce your title match, you know. Mm. That the title match sanctioned by NWA and oh no, recognized by NWA and sanctioned by PWF Pacific Wrestling Federation. That sounds big, right? And he would do that announcement even into the nineties. He would come over yeah, and do those yeah, announcements like a seventy-some-year-old, like eighty-year-old Lord James Blair. Now that the Dory Funk is a commissioner of PWF. Mm. You know, people want to see, you know, Dory Funk well, you know? Yeah. And still wearing the cowboy hat. And speaking Japanese too. Well, he, he does speak Japanese. Mm. Yeah. Which is really good. Anyhow, yeah, that's, that's the, those are the things that the little element that the, the hell Japanese lesson a little bit better because we love history. We, we love legitimacy of it. And uh, yeah. Make the title match look like a real title match. Back to Tenru. Yeah. Uh, talking about the Funks, that's kind of where Tenru and, and the Funks right. kind of Tenru first met sent, up. Yeah. Texas. Tenru was sent to, before his debut, a 26 year old Tenru. You know, he chopped up his you know, samurai hairdo and no more sumo wrestler. The transition, tr transition was really really di difficult because you know why why is that sumo wrestlers sumo wrestlers don't take back bumps right yeah it's yeah. not like judo or or wrestling not like, like jumbo judo judo no. yeah right so when you fall to your back that's it you're dead in sumo wrestling hmm. it's over matches over so you you yeah matches over so you never purposely take your bump Taking right bump actually save your, I mean, your body, you know, it's a, you know, like you can land safe. You, know, you yeah, don't have to do that. It's important to be able to break your fall in any kind of fight. Right. It was a wider surface. You mm -hmm. know? Yeah. yeah I mean, you want the uh, ground to absorb everything from yeah, and then your slam fall. Both your hands into your mat. Boom. And, mm. you know, yeah. Spread your damage or the impact. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, yeah, it's like you'd be relatively safe and also yeah. tuck your head in, you know, tuck your head in, you never yep. hit back of your head. Right. Yeah. Keep so your that chin was down. Yeah. Chin down and see your belly button. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Something like that. And that was the first thing Terry and Tenru was learning from Dory Funk and Terry Funk. Very interesting. Right. Mm -hmm. So and he, he debuted in the same era. What was interesting was like a then student rookie Ted DiBiase. Then the, the how big of a star million dollar man, Ted DBS will become later on. Mm. Then they, they will meet again, though. That's what's so interesting about wrestling. You know, like life runs its own cycle. And then like 10 years later, Tenru and Ted DBS will be doing the match. Jumbo Tenru against Stan Hansen, Ted DBS program, if you remember. Yeah, it seems like the, the, the best 
seem to stick around and their their paths often cross because they're the best, the the real best, not just who says who's the best, but you know who who the real deals are. Yeah. So he st- Tenru uh, stayed in Amarillo, Texas, about eight uh, eight nine months period, then came back and had the real debut match in Japan. So he was in the main event cluster from the day one. Yeah, he he was kind of like uh, Jumbo Tsuru who came around at this yeah, time yeah. too. Yeah, so it was the jump, Giant Baba's method. So traditionally, Rikidozan era or, or New Japan's Inoki philosophy, they'll make you um, start from your second match, then climb up, right? Mm-hmm. Baba had different philosophy or use your you know strong rookie, like uh, you start using him still green though, but you'll put him in the main event position, like uh, much like Lex Luger, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Or the uh, All Japan's recent, the Saito brothers, the Sumo yeah, brothers. Yeah, right, Sumo brothers, the twin brothers. Oh, they, 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 they're, they're green. All, yeah, they will be, because they gonna, they have to use him. I mean, what's, what's the point of having those guys in an opening match? They're mm. great athletes already, you know, and uh, the proven athletes. So, yeah, they sh- still green, though. No? I'm sure they need experience, but uh, it's important to put these strong super rookie into a certain position right away. And yeah, because yeah. we get to see them kind of grow. And with Tenru, we, we got to see him grow in professional wrestling a, a lot of different ways, too. Yeah. He, he, he's special from the beginning. Very beginning. Yet. Wrestling fans sometimes resent that treatment too. You know, he was not very popular five in the first five six years. Ah, uh, because he came from outside. That too, and the, being put him in the main event cluster right away, and uh, he, when he was not exactly ready. You know, Jumbo, great worker, you know, already. Jump, Giant Baba, superstar, and also the king. You know. And uh, all the American superstars are like a real superstars coming to all Japan. You're talking Dory Funk, Terry Funk working as, as full time. And you, you had your Abdul the Butcher and all these American superstars he had to work with. Yeah. Uh, Tenru was not quite ready, but uh, yeah, but still in, in the main event cluster. Then he had the second trip, second trip to America again, though. What year was yeah. that? It was, it was like a... Uh, 78, 79. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then he did back and forth. And I think he had longer tour than anybody. Like Jumbo only had one big tour, you know, besides the AWA run. But uh, when he was rookie, he only worked... Jumbo only worked Amarillo, Texas and came back and became main event and pretty much stayed in Japan. But uh, Tenru came back and worked about a year rookie main event status, babyface type. Uh, he was sent back to America. He probably wanted it, but uh, he went back to America and worked uh, NWA Florida. He worked Georgia. He worked North Carolina, Crockett's, and he had actual real long tour with America. And that's when he became like a really, really wrestler, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, renting a- his own, yeah, renting his own car, booking his own hotel, you know, traveling, not the company provided buses, but the, he had to drive your own car to get to town. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And he, did everything American. All the, the South Atlantic kind of area, right? Like the Florida, like Eddie Graham. 
Eddie Graham, yeah, Mid Atlantic, like you said. Mid Atlantic, yeah. yeah, before it was WCW, NW Crockett promotion, lot, requires a lot of driving, right? And, and I think, Atlanta, yeah, yeah, around NWA this time, yeah, NWA Georgia, yeah. I, I think around this time, he also was tagging with Mr. Fuji, who had been in the States. Yeah, in, in Atlanta, and also mm-hmm. had a short run with Mr. Sato before Mr. Sato was uh, Greg Kabuki. Ah. Yeah. And in Florida, different company, but it didn't matter. He had a tag, and he tagged with Masa Saito too. In Japan, I mean, Masa Saito sounds like you're a New Japan big heel, right? Mm-hmm. But in America, well, once you're in America, yeah, you'll, you'll, you know, you'll be you know, working with people like from different companies. Like Tenru worked with Killer Khan, Tenru tagged with Masa Saito, or even Taiga Hattori was around as a manager. And yeah, he did all that, yeah. So when he was in the States and working, did Tenyu speak much English? I think he picked up. Mm-hmm. You know what? He speaks a um, lot more English than he lets out. Oh, yeah? Yeah. yeah he, he seems like a quiet everything. kind of guy. Yeah, well, much like, much like Stan, Hansen, Stan Hansen understood Japanese without telling everybody about it. Ah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You hear it, you know. Or you understand a whole lot more than you can say. How's that? And is it true that uh, weren't Stan Hansen and Tenyu like roommates in uh, in Texas around this time when Tenyu was training? Uh, that was Jumbo. That was Jumbo. That was, oh, okay, that was Jumbo. Okay. Yeah. So when Jumbo's rookie year, uh, stayed in the same apartment with uh, with people like Stan Hansen and Bob Backlund. Ah, okay. Hey, Bob Backlund went on and became. WWF champion, you know, mm-hmm. these are very interesting connection there. And uh, it must have been so uh, extreme of a, a lifestyle change to go from a teenager living in a sumo lifestyle to living in Southeastern United States pro wrestling at a pretty hot yeah, time for the, for the business. There was more yeah, money at Lifegates. Ter- yeah. There were territories. So he were, you know, he was able to travel on his yeah. own and he really became wrestler, you know, professional wrestler. And there are more Japanese wrestlers in America at the time. You know, actually, see, first, tra- first trip to Amarillo, Texas, Jan Baba sent Tenru, with, and then he, there was like an assistant that uh, you take care of Tenru, you know, you go there, you know, over there with him. There was a Kazuo Sakurada, ah. so, another former sumo wrestler, a good friend of Tenru, who later on became Kendo Narasaki. Is mm. that an interesting connection? Yeah, and he both kind of came up in the same areas too. If you if you think about Kendo Narasaki, yeah. where he was, he was in all the same places Tenryu usually was. Yeah, and then uh, what, what was interesting is though, Tenru was brought back from Amarillo, Texas one year later to become the part of the main event, main event cluster, right? Mm-hmm. And Baba told Sakurada, you can stay there as much as, as long as long as you want to go ahead. I just didn't have much plan for Sakurada, you know. Yeah, he had Therefore, his own path, different path. Than yeah, so he became Mister Sakurada and then went to Kansas and Central States and went all the way up to Calgary, Canada, and he went back to Florida and then all of a sudden he's uh, Kendo Narasaki and he had different paths. But uh, later on, they meet again. You know, that's another interesting connection. Tenru and Sakurada meet up again in All Japan Ring and SWS Ring. They mm. don't. Yeah, very interesting. But anyhow, we got to stick with Tenru's story, you know, 
this time that he traveled and then he came back as more you know polished professional yet something was still lacking and clearly beneath jumbo tsura clearly number three you know baba is a promoter and the director and producer and the main guy and the owner of the company. So it was Jam Baba's, this was all Japan's, all Japan, you know, Baba's company. And Jumbo Tsura, the biggest baby face in, um, num- in ring number one guy, huh? And yeah. Ten- Tenru was going to be very much like a, always underneath ter- ten- you know, Jumbo Tsura. And by one match, one night, by having this very historical tag team match that he really became another, I mean, like a, another person, different person overnight, which is summer of 1981, mm-hmm. summer of 1981, International Tag Team Championship. Now that's a part of all Japan's still, they're still using the same belts from that era, remember? Yeah. Now that the Suwama and all these guys, the, the, the Miyahara and Aoyagi, they mm-hmm. have this, same, you know, bird, you know, eagle looking belt that's kind of thin leather. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The international tag team. Then, nine, summer of 1981, the then international tag team champion was Giant Baba and Jumbo Tsura. That's top, right? Mm-hmm. The challenger was going to be Billy Robinson and Dickie Slater, Dirty Dickie Slater. Ah. And Dick Slater got injured and was, you know, then went home during the, you know, in the middle of the tour. And the very end of the end of the tour, that there was going to be the International Tag Team Championship for the main event, Baba Jumbo against Billy Billy Robinson and some. Then they did this incredible angle where Billy Robinson and Tenru came out together as newly formed tag team of that night they're wearing the purple royal color purple matching trunks and they came in and then people go whoa they did it unannounced all of a sudden tenru is working against baba and jumbo in that ring and uh the, he had this you know we, we, we have to know that the uh billy, how big billy robinson was in japan at the time yeah, by that, by the early 80s, he was established. It was a slowing down, yeah, a little bit. But uh, he was still the challenger of the, the big title match. And storyline, well, Baba made it, of course, but the storyline said that the Billy Robinson asked Tenru to join. And he, um, overnight, <clears throat> working against Baba and Jumbo, all of a sudden, oh my gosh, this Tenru can work heel, right? And uh, yeah, by one night that, that something changed in people's perception changed probably overnight. And uh, yeah, Tenru became like another, I mean, he just, let's say another dimension of Tenru came up. And uh, yeah, that was a very you know historical moment that Tenru and Billy Robinson became tag team and challenged Baba and Jumbo for the international tag team title. They didn't win the title, but uh, that time on, people changed the way they look at Tenru. Yeah. But for, for the next few years, next four years to be exact, Jumbo and Tenru are still regular tag team partners, you know, like number two and number three guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just months after that tag team match, they would those two Jumbo and Tenyu would team up, and they would 
they had that yeah, famous yeah, yeah. Uh, Hanson and Brody match. Uh, the oh, that too, yeah. Oh, really yeah, famous every, match. Every November 82, to December. 81? Yeah, but in the day, Jumbo and Tenru were together as babyface top tag team uh, until probably 84, 85 era. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they were, and, they seemed like the yeah. only team that could take on the foreign teams. Yeah, because they got the size, you know. Mm. Actually, Jumbo and Tenru, uh, they're much bigger in size than today's Japanese um, superstars. You know, you, you look at people like Naito, the. Uh, well, Kazuchika Okada or or people like uh, Kota Ibushi, they are actually physically much smaller than Jumbo and Tenru. Mm. Notice that? They're, they're, it's more athletic and it's more oh, about course, muscle definition. Course. These guys were oh, God, big, tall science, dudes. Science body, yes, yes. Yeah. They built like bodybuilders and, and they do like a Game Boy, you know, like a flipping and diving and all these fancy things today's wrestlers do. Yeah, Jumbo Tenru never did that, but the, they were taller and heavier, you know? Would you compare yeah. it a little bit yeah. to something like a Kurt Angle and Brock Lesnar? Ah, Something okay, like okay. that? Probably, probably. Because Jumbo, former Olympic, yeah, Olympian from 1972 Munich Olympic, teaming, in, teaming with legitimate sumo superstar Tenru. Yeah, it's just like legitimacy was there always, yeah. And Much I, like... Yeah, Brock Lesnar and Kurt Angle. Yeah, good comparison. I think that people also <clears throat> didn't accept Brock Lesnar initially like they like they do now. Like a monster guy. Yeah, I mean, his career, his, like Tenyu's changed over the years drastically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I guess you have to leave your existing environment, then come back. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you have to be the hero's one. journey. Yeah, yeah, because you... Uh, not, you shouldn't be around. I mean, I mean, shouldn't be around the whole time. It's a not not the whole time, but sometimes you're gonna leave and come back, make yeah. people miss you. you well, and because you come back with uh, things to share, a new perspective, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, nobody looked like ten years po- in the ring. Polished and polished, aged. Yeah. yeah, polished, aged, or maybe even different costume and uh, yeah, distinguished um, too. Yeah, distinguished Tenru in rookie years was always wearing like a blue trunks or the purple trunks, mm-hmm. not quite black trunks yet, you know. And combed remember, hair. Yeah, permed. Yeah, perm. Yeah. Remember yeah. when Jumbo was wearing like a blue and red and uh, stars on it, mm-hmm. like Terry Funk was in seventies. Yeah, and he he looked like in, an American wrestler. He dressed like somebody from yeah, the yeah, Texas blue, area. Blue wrestling boots, red wrestling boots. Yeah. Yeah, basic. And then when you become single main event guy, you change your costume to black trunks to black wrestling boots. It's like a real strong style kind of. Mm. A strong style is New Japan term, but uh, more like a serious guy. Serious Japanese combat style. Yeah, and then during that, you know, early '80s era, before Triple Crown era, there was three single titles. Giant Baba's PWF heavyweight title, right? Mm-hmm. Pacific Wrestling Federation belt. And Jumbo Tsura's international singles belt. And then pretty much the third as a position, which is kind of third. yeah. But the, Tenru was single United National UN heavyweight champion. Mm-hmm. 
it's kind of confusing to have so many singles belt who's better or who's above or below or whatever but uh, before triple crown era there was always three single titles in in, in all japan ring and jumbo always had the international belt and then it was tenru's belt that it was un belt yeah and uh he beat ricky steamboat for that when he won it first time right 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 it was going to be david von eric but uh and David Van Eer came in as U UN champion after the Phantom title change in Texas. Phantom. I don't mm -hmm. think it really happened. But he came in. David Van Eer came in as UN champion, and he um, passed away that be uh, before the first night of the tour. That's another story for another, yeah, uh, day. But uh, so UN, yeah, uh, UN title was Tenru's. Yeah, like a, that was his thing. His title, kind of not his title, but the people, uh, you know, that's the belt he was he always had, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, some people think of do you remember the IWGP crown shaped belt? I think of Hashimoto when I think of that, the second one, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, it's not his belt, but it's in our minds associated with that, yeah, design was, yeah, or Steve right. Austin with the uh skull belt, oh, very original, yeah, yeah, it, it's their version, yeah, yeah, I understand that. Well, the spinning version is John Cena, right? Of course, yeah, yeah. That's the, yeah. the probably the best example these days. So right. yeah, so UN belt, UN belt was always ten rules, you know. Mm. But that is also something that made him number two, number three. Because mm -hmm. international belt and UN belt, the people kind of wonder about that. It's like international belt is above UN, isn't it? It's like a, they didn't tell you that, but you kind of feel that. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it depends on how it's booked or how it's marketed. Yeah. Then what you need is another outsider rivalry. In 19, end of 1984, and actually two-year run, 1985 and 1986, Riki Choshu and his guy migrated from New Japan to Old Japan. And, and Riki, they invaded. Yeah, Riki, yeah, invaded. Riki Choshu, the killer con, the... A uh, little bit of Yatsu, Shaki. Yeah, Yatsu, Animal Hamaguchi, Teranishi, the, all those guys, all 15 of them mm -hmm. migrated from New Japan to Old Japan and signed the contract and signed, also signed the contract with Channel 4, Nippon TV. They believe, Nippon TV believed that the Chosh, Riki Choshu came in and was going to stay forever, which he didn't. But uh, what made Tenru much bigger star during that era was the single match program between Riki Choshu and Tenru. As a popularity, as a popularity that the, that's when Tenru surpassed the in popularity of, of Jumbo Tsura. He so, became more popular than Jumbo then, that time. And that was because of his work with Choshu. Yeah, and then dated so many times. In those two-year run of Riki Choshu and his in his army, eighty-five and eighty-six, there was only one single match between Riki Choshu and Jumbo Sura. Only once, only once. Oh, they met night after night after night in a six-man tag team or regular tag team situation, but that the single match only occurred once at the Osaka Joe Castle Hall in nineteen eighty-five. It was, as you guessed it, sixty-minute Broadway. They never did it again. Because nobody could win. I mean, Jumbo beat Ricky Choshu. Ch Ricky Choshu beat Jumbo. They just can't do, right? 
I heard stories that around this time, Choshu was probably at his most popular, and maybe Tenryu was getting there. So this must have yeah, been right. Like uh, by having a long program, that uh, Tenryu became much much bigger star. And in ring chemistry, Riki Choshu and Tenryu had much better chemistry than Choshu and Jumbo would have. Why do you think that is? Oh, similar size, similar style. You know, Tenru chopping, you know, and then that, you know, sumo thrust against Ricky Choshu's, you know, Ricky Lariat. And, uh, you know, you have more striking and uh, not fancy moves, but more of that, like a clash, you know. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like the contact. Rugged, tough contact. guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like Stan Hansen and Bruiser Brody and, and, and the big, big uh, NWA style athletic pro wrestling like a bunch of football players or amateur yeah, wrestling like together. a big shoulder block to your know, yeah like big knee drop to power not fancy, yeah not fancy move but the actual physical contact they chop each other that those elements and those aspects will be inherited by people like kenta kobashi later on yes yeah they love that you know but the riki choshu and tenru had this two-year program single match after single match after single match and they didn't really have conclusion you know but they were equal Ricky Choshu and Tenru you know became pretty much equal right but mm. Ricky Choshu and his guys went back to New Japan in spring of 1987 mm -hmm. that almost made New Japan match in a New Japan show like almost skeleton right yeah. there were 10 to 15 Ricky Choshu guys on top of American and all Japan regular guys. And they, that, the, the whole one dressing room left again. What, what happens is that that's when Ricky, uh, that's when Tenru finally turned heel on Jumbo. Jumbo against Tenru became the main program of all Japan. That was popular. Yeah. Ah, so this was 88. Going towards 87, the, yeah, 87, yeah, 87, 88, 89, 90, yeah, until spring of night. So they jumbo and jumbo against Tenru single match program lasted good three years, and that was when Tenru finally beat Jumbo to the one, two, three in the middle of the ring for the first time. See, Jumbo for the longest time was untouchable. Nobody really beat Jumbo one to three in the middle of the ring. Did you notice that? Mm. That's why it was so important when Misawa won a couple of years later. Oh, that meant uh, in 1990, we got to get to that. But uh, actually, see, today's wrestling fans don't, still don't realize a lot of times that how important winning and losing actually in, in wrestling even. Because people, you know, from right from the day one, you become wrestling fan. It's work, right? It does, but still winning and losing in wrestling means something. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, especially over time. You know, maybe today a, a win and a loss might not mean anything, but if you expand that to 100 over a couple of years, then it's, you could see a bigger picture. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's still important because <clears throat> if you think about Roman Reigns hasn't been beat, right? No. I mean, it's very hard to beat Roman Reigns in the middle of the ring, one, two, three. I can't picture anybody right now. 
Yeah, maybe he he'll lose in a three way, and the two other other guys are, are <laughs> yeah, which is a little bit of an excuse and outside something. interference. Yeah, but nothing more than that. He's protected. I mean, not serious wrestling match, single match in a WrestleMania caliber type in show. So after Ricky Choshu and his guys left and went back to New Japan, it was the biggest storyline, but it's the biggest turn that the Tenru finally turned on Jumbo and became rev. Revolution, you know, you remember the little unit name? Mm -hmm. Revolution with the jacket. Revolution, yeah, yeah. And he only had one ally in, in Ashurahara, you know. Another yeah. kind of uh, unique Lona. outsider, yeah, from, Lona. from yeah. Uh, international wrestling. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's like outside kind of, you know, like outsider kind of image, right? Very mm -hmm. essential. So See, revolution, yeah, yeah. Not heel, but the heel like. You know, in Japan, baby face and heels are not like American baby face and heels. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Heels don't necessarily necessarily cheat or bad mouth your baby face. There's no promo or mic or the backstage skit. You challenge your star like a sport. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, your behavior out there is kind of what makes you heal or baby. If you, do you follow the rules or do you kind of do what you want? Just that's it. That's the limit. We judge or based on you challenge you the establishment. That's true too, especially in yeah. Japan. Yeah, you challenge the establishment because jump the re, the part of the reason Jumbo wasn't was not as popular as he should be was that he was always so protected, right? He was Baba's boy. And, yeah, number one guy. Yeah, from the day one, and he was so good that he he never had bad matches, and he always had I mean, always had strong single match against all the American superstars of that era, and therefore he was protected. In the back of the lot of wrestling fans' minds, what if what if Tenru and Jumbo had a serious single match? They want to see that, and it took. Three, four single match, you know, against each other until Tenru finally pinned Jumbo with power bomb in the middle of the ring at Nippon Budokan. You know and what I'm that, saying? That was yeah. a, about a year yeah. after he turned on him. I guess so. Yeah, about eighty-eight. So you yeah. have to be patient with all Japan wrestling sometimes. You know? Yes, yeah. it's it's like a slower pace. Very but, much so. But it's the payoff is a big, big payoff. Yeah, and uh, really believable. Yeah, and, and by, memorable. Yeah, and by having you know the single match program, you know, against Jumbo Tsura, Tenru became the caliber of a wrestler who can have single match program against people like Stan and Brody too at the same time. Mm -hmm. Believable single match. Today, Tenru might beat Stan Hansen. Today, Tenru might beat Brody for the first time. It didn't happen, but uh, you know what I'm saying? He became very believable single main event guy. He wasn't number three anymore. No, pretty much like another number two or not another number one. I mean, equal to Jumbo. That made Jumbo stronger babyface too. Now that the people are cheering for Jumbo too, for real. Yeah. But right at around this time is when Tenyu would actually take that momentum and he would, he would leave. Leave in spring of 1990, the, the new, newly formed 
like mega money company, the mega super, the optical company with a lot of money wanted to go into wrestling industry. Initially, they that the mega super company wanted to buy UWF initially, mm-hmm. UWF. At the time, 1989, 1990, super popular UWF. Not this version of UWF had a Maeda, Takada, Funaki, Fujiwara, Minoru Suzuki, all these original UWF superstars in it. And we're, we're in the first Tokyo Dome show too. Yeah, that too. And they, a lot of people believe they are legitimate. You know what I'm saying? It was MMA at that time. <laughs> yeah, it's work, MMA-ish pro wrestling. They never bounced off the ropes. They didn't have your hip toss or arm drags or drop kicks or anything silly. You know, they really had serious, serious wrestling match, which was UWF's, you know, essence that people have to believe that they are making professional wrestling a legitimate contest. Oh my gosh, right? Mm. And well, adding a lot more martial arts right. to it too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, they didn't bring in uh, American superstars that much. Bob Backlund for one, but uh, they beat him, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, the wrestlers they b- brought in was like a young Ken Shamrock. They trained him to be part of the UWF family. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Then later on, Ken Shamrock had his own path using that image. That's another subject for another day. But the connection is very interesting, right? But Shamrock would be in SWS actually too. As a pro wrestler, right, right, yeah. Wayne yeah, Shamrock. He was part of the Fuji- yeah, because he was part of the part of the uh, Fujiwara family. Ah, yeah. Excuse yeah. me, it wasn't SWS. It was Fujiwara Gumi. P- yeah, okay. Fujiwara was also at the time sponsored by SWS people. Yeah. So there was a connection. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, so all these guys, you know, took their own path and become their own superstar. You know, years from that point on. But the connection was there. Everybody was there. But the, to, to get back to Tenru's story, that SWF, no, the Megane Super could not buy UWF. Okay? So they went to Keiji Muto. You know, they went to buy Keiji Muto. And Keiji Muto said, no. Oh my gosh, you know? And uh, then it came to Tenru and his guys. And Tenru left, and 10 other. Uh, guys like, you know, Samson Fuyuki and Yoshiaki Yatsu and a few other guys, you know, about eight, nine guys from all Japan uh, roster moved to SWS and had ill-fated two-year run with SWS. Yeah. Mm. But they had enough money to run Tokyo Dome. They had yeah. enough money to have a business connection uh, with WWE, you know, WWF. They mm-hmm. brought in people like, you know, Hulk Hogan, Legion of Doom, the Big John Tenta, all these, and they had the Tokyo Dome show too. If you remember Tenru against Hulk Hogan single match um, at Tokyo Dome. <clears throat> yeah, the SWS, uh, there was that. Stan Hansen was involved with that too, I think. Was it just the, with Hogan and Stan Hansen on the net? No, the no, that's th- not it. That's a, that's a, you're talking about Stan against Hulk Hogan match, 1990 Wrestling Summit. Wrestling oh, Summit, yeah. Tenru yeah, was. With Randy Tenru Savage on that. Randy Savage, that's very famous, but that's completely different. Yeah, that was that was, was a right joint before, show. Right before SWS mm-hmm, was born. Mm-hmm. So SWS that was partially the reason that the Tenru was ready to leave, you know? Why is that? Yeah. Well, I guess that uh, after a three-year run in a program against Jumbo, it really ran its course too, you know? 
what's, what are you going to do now? Tenru already beat Jumbo, and Jump, Jumbo's going to beat Tenru again. This is the, the, all good single match program has to come to an end sometimes, huh? Mm. And the conclusion was there. And uh, when while Giant Baba was thinking about Tenru's next program, Big money guy from outside came in and wanted to, you know, buy Tenru and Tenru pretty much decided to leave, you know? Yeah. But he was close to 40 years old then, remember? Mm. So he was, by this time, he was Mr. Pro Wrestling. Uh, not quite yet because SWS company, very ill-fated that it only, the money was good. Uh, the sponsorship money could only last so long, and uh, they went down in two years. Then Tenru formed his own company with his own money, WAR. You know, War, WAR company that was still independent, but Tenru ran his own company, you know, with people, his guys, Ultimo Dragon joined him, and they had pretty, you know, they had pretty much like a good three to five year run with WAR group. But it was the time uh, New Japan wanted to get in touch with Tenru. And Ten, the WAR wasn't really a major company, but the, Tenru had his own company going, you know. So they uh, pretty much made a, a business negotiation with New Japan this time. And Tenru became another outsider heel character working New Japan. Then resumed this single match program against Riki Choshu again. It worked. They headlined quite a few Tokyo Dome shows. Pretty similar to NWO, WCW. That was a hint. See, where they had NWO idea was when Eric Bischoff and his people witnessed New Japan against UWFI, Muto mm-hmm. against Takada. You know, he didn't understand why this was so big and serious. Two companies run against each other. You know, of course it's work, but it's people believing this. You know, company against company, promotion against promotion. One has to go down, kind of thing. It's a very serious, serious situation. That made Keiji Muto an even bigger star, right? Yeah, the the big difference between the UWFI um, feud with New Japan and the war feud was because with war, it was still pro wrestling. It, of there, course. There was no style versus style anything. It was, it was, it was like but WCW. It's more yeah. of a human interest than anything. Yeah. yeah Tenru's especially. saga against mm-hmm. Riki Choshu saga. You know, those were the big rival. They never settled. In, in this 1985, 1986 program, they never had conclusion. Ricky Choshu left, you know. Then by by 90s, uh, you know, in early 90s, Antonio Inoki already left the company to become politician. He gave Booker job and you know dressing dressing room backstage leader role to Ricky Choshu. So Rick. Na- 1980s version of Ricky Choshu and 1990 version of Ricky Choshu, two different person. Now he's he is the establishment. You know what I'm saying? And he eventually he was booking the matches too. He was the guy. Of course, he yeah, was the guy, the brilliant booker. Yeah. So they uh, openly they booked the program. 
Rick, uh, the Tenru outsider, WAR wrestler coming to New Japan big shows and then having a single match against every single one of these New Japan superstars. And pretty much Tenru, they had Tenru beat every one of them. Yeah. And if anybody has a chance, I think some of these matches are on, you know, New Japan World or YouTube, but yeah, yeah, crowds much, in Korok, some of these Korokun crowds, uh, just the crowds in general during this time were wild, crazy. Yeah, and also I believe that uh, um, Tenru was uh, like an epitome of, of traditional pro wrestling. See, people were so into UWF and Maeda and Takada, how they were going to make professional wrestling a leg legitimate content, contest and all these things. But at the same time, look at Tenru. Traditional pro wrestling with your Tenru backhand slap chop, that hurts more than what UWF does. How's that? <laughs> yeah. You know? It was... So uh, it was like a believer of traditional wrestling fans, you know? believer fans of traditional style pro wrestling they really believed in tenru you know yeah this is like what they've always done and he is the toughest guy you, they don't care you know, we don't care what maeda would be saying or what, what what takada would be doing and takada for example he would later on leave pro wrestling and become 100% mma fighter and never came back to pro, traditional pro wrestling to this day mm -hmm. Yeah, but uh, it was like uh, Tenru was like somebody rest, wrestling fan can believe in. Yeah. Because of his background and because of his uh, history in the 80s at this point, too. Uh, not just that, but the, what he does, you know, how serious I mean, his face and the way he carry himself. And he, he doesn't do much in the ring. The Tenru chop and the power bomb is about it, right? But you, it's right. He, how he, uh, his face is usually fixed. It's that way until when it does, when he shows that emotion or, or rage, it really, you remember it clearly. Yeah. And you didn't see that until maybe later on. We didn't right. see that all that much. But yeah, he's cool, uh, kind of unbreakable, uh, doesn't show any pain, tries not yeah, to. Yeah, and also what's so beautiful, you know, beautiful about professional wrestling is that you can say that I've been watching this guy for 15 years. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 So it's like, I'm with this guy, you know. You're on his team. Done. Yeah. It doesn't matter what other people say. I like this guy kind of thing. So the popularity is, you know, not flaky. It's real, real popularity. I mean, and loyalty. Like in yeah. Believe in Tenru. You know, it's like, a, yeah. So it was like that. So, and Very he, interesting. he's, uh, it's again, it's, um, we were talking about Onita earlier today and he, at the same time, both of the, in different ways, they were two kind of heads or leaders that they splintered off and there was that new third option. It wasn't just New Japan yeah, and All Japan, right, right. the indie explosion, the indie boom. In, yeah, but in independent, 90s. but the business was big. They're oh, running yeah, Kawas sure. yeah, Kawasaki Baseball Stadium and Yokohama Stadium. They're running almost like monthly small palace shows. Only New Japan and Old Japan could run those big shows then, right? Mm. But the Onita was able to, you know, explore his new buildings and new fans and things nobody had seen before. Yeah. Uh, the funny thing is, though, the same fan who watched UWF and Maeda last week will go watch Onita this weekend. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, no, me too. It's this, it's yeah. the same. Uh, it's just a different genre. 
You know, yeah. it's like listening to different yeah. genre music. Yeah, and then during that, you know, mid '90s era, not New Japan, not All Japan, but the Tenru against Onita single match at Kawasaki Stadium happened. You know. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. This. Well, that that year was a whole. I think that's a really rare year. Ninety five. Ninety four. It was ninety four. Yeah. So in the first month in January, he had the match with Inoki Tokyo. He beats Inoki, and no one yeah, really beats that's him. That's rare. Yeah. That's huge. And then later that month, he goes to the U.S. and appears in the Royal Rumble and is one of the last right, people right. in it. This is the same month. And then in May that year, he has the uh, exploding barbed wire death match. I guess Onita. Yeah, and it's and not even Mensa. halfway through the year. So this guy, that's yeah. pretty, I don't. So it's like Tenru meant crowd, you know. He could single-handedly draw 20, 30,000 people. Yeah. And, and it didn't matter about the style or it, it, it didn't have to be a oh, perfect same match. Thing. Yeah, New Japan match, Onita match, Tenru goes in and it does his thing. Does oh, his thing yeah. and doesn't change it. Uh-uh. That's believable, yeah. isn't it? Even if it's a ridiculous situation like this exploding barbed wire, it's, <laughs> it's so surreal. But you know, he didn't waver. He, it's, I don't want to. In I want to use John Cena as just a comparison, a light comparison, just because John Cena is never gonna, you know, do his uh, heel turn. He, he, you can rely on him to be that character. It's the same way with Tenu. He's gonna be that stone cold character in, in any situation. Similar, yeah. Reliable to the fans. Mm-hmm. But John Cena had program strong program against Brock Lesnar, and they made him a little bit more believable, right? Right, right. Yeah. And he's a big, tough guy, too, you know? And he has a le- baby face, but he was tough guys kind of thing. And he has a legit background, too. The believable oh, uh, background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Background. As, a, as an athlete, yeah. Mm, yeah. I think that really it seems to factor into all the superstars in the end. Like the same with Choshu and Jumbo. Uh, Giant Baba has his baseball. It, th- all of these stars seem to have had a legit athletic sports athletic competitive background. background. Yeah, of course. It's I mean, wrestling is not your just act or just going through motions or just do or plan high spot or anything like that. You know, you just have to have it in there, have it in him. But what's interesting I is that in, in the today's wrestling too. You know? Mm, yeah, me too. And I think what's interesting is that the guys these days, they don't have the same kind of backgrounds. It's right. It, it's that's maybe why it's different. It's different. And it's not like it doesn't work or works. It's just different. Yeah, Kota Ibushi, professional wrestler from the day one, right? Yeah. But yeah. but you know, we can't compare him to anybody else. He's from outer space. Well, you know? but also today's music and seventies music, eighties music. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Things it's change. Like that. Yeah, it's I, like that. I don't think wrestling has ever been one way ever. I think it always changes. What made Tenru special all the way till the end is though his retirement match. Well, we can do a. We have to have another episode on Tenru, but uh, we gotta ha- you know touch upon this his retirement match. He he wanted to have single match against Kazuchika Okada at the end mm-hmm. and lose. Yeah, because Okada it was. And this is 2015. It's so only five six years ago. So. Okada, the star of this time, versus sure. Tenyu, the star of uh, another time. And it was not sad. It was pretty competitive match. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> and nothing about Tenyu's stuff. That I, I never see the sentimental. It's not. He, they're kind of emotional matches, but not in a. He's very, very macho guy. 
He's tough a v- guy. Tough yeah. guy. It's you know you're not going to see any tears in a Brock Lesnar match either. You know what I mean? It's it, there's right. a little bit Very of an similar. edge to it. So I think he appealed to the people that like that kind of thing. So it's like wrestling fan, but you are Tenru fan, huh? Yeah, yeah. yeah like, like a that. tougher, tougher guy, like a like mm-hmm. a cowboy. Yeah. So it was like he ended up working both all Japan tradition. You know, traditional pro wrestling circle, and also he went to independent. He even did Onita kind of thing, and he, you know, had a sing, you know, New Japan run, and he even had hustle run, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, during the dark age of pro- Japanese pro wrestling, Tenru was big part of hustle promotion too, you know. And but before that, actually, he he so was the dimension. he was the superstar to come back and save all Japan when uh, when everything kind of right, dispersed right. Mrs. Bob, Mrs. Baba and Mrs. Baba and Tenru, yeah, made up and uh, they shook hand and uh, came back to all Japan after Misawa's group all left and formed Pro Wrestling Noah. So he was the part of that, you know, millennium era too. Yeah, he was so, very, very instrumental. So how about this? So Keiji Muto against Tenru that year. Oh God, that was the match, match of, the of the year, year. I think. Yeah. Oh God, I was nobody there. expected. Oh yeah, it, it, I was a, there at the Budokan. Yeah, that's a very special match. I want to talk to you about. Because yeah, Tenyu yeah. really never showed that much personality in a match up until that point. I mean, he he was doing a, like a top rope Frankensteiner in the match and then <laughs> jumping off. He, yeah, you he have does to go against Yakeji Muto's inability. Yeah. yeah, that's something that I think uh, we saw even more in the 90s and 2000s. Yeah, was, now that today's fans think that the Keiji Muto is kind of old, but the, always though, that the, at the time, Tenru is always 10 years older than Muto and you know people like Chono and Hashimoto or Kensuke Sasaki's that generation the clearly Tenru was always a generation older so he was the one who's defending the traditions yeah he's defending the traditions but you also see him in around this time uh, you know doing tope suicida or, or you know jumping <laughs> yeah. off the apron so he doesn't he, look that great but uh, he tried new moves after yeah. you were 50 <laughs> and that's what's fun. That's the exciting part. It's like when Terry Funk did a moonsault. You know, it's that kind of yeah. Feeling. When you were fifty-three years old, oh my gosh, yeah. fearless, fearless yeah. kind of uh, feeling. So, how about next time? So, we'll, let's start. We'll talk more about uh, tenure in the nineties and up into the end of his career because we can really yeah, focus on yeah. some. There was some special match him and Kojima in all Japan. Uh, in the, that's kind of important to Kojima's career, right? Right. Because um, not as big of a star then. Yeah. No, but I mean, after the tenure match, and he's also part of other people's career. It's people maybe not as changed the re- yeah, perception. Yeah. Wow, this guy is next main event. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we got to remember about uh, back to WAR. This he hosted this house that brought us uh, Gedo Jado, Chris Jericho, and right, right, Storm, opened, and op- opened the yeah, opened the door for new talents. Yes, very interesting and non-traditional talent that you would never. Oh, young see. 23, 24 year old Chris Jericho was practically living in, in Tokyo hotel, and and, and uh, he was staying here as like as much as his visa allowed. You know, Tenru had Chris Jericho come in and stay ninety days at a time and ten trips a year. Or something, mm. yeah. I mean, not, not quite 10 trips, but six, seven trips a year, you know, back and forth a whole year, yeah. Yeah, I think there's a lot of stars that are still active today that definitely there's there's a, a tie to them. Shingo Takagi, 
a little bit too, and, and Okada sure. too. They have those those ties just from somewhere from this path that Tenyu is on. That's just I, I can't really compare it to anybody else's. Yeah, but the the, the if you introduce the the personal connection, people may have better understanding where they come from. Yeah. Oh yeah, because yeah. if you, if you know all of this about him, then you get why people react the way they do and did. Yeah, yeah. I got today's you know Shingo Shingo Takagi, you know, always fan of Ricky Choshu and Tenru, and see when he was when Shingo Takagi was a, a high school student, he wanted to become wrestler and he wanted to call himself Ricky Koshu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because he's not from Choshu. Choshu is a part of the Japan's that's a, a, the name name of old town, and where. Shingo Takagi is from from Yamanashi. That uh, he is Koshu, Koshu, you know, old name of that, you know, the whole ah. area. So Riki Koshu, yeah, uh, he wants to like call a, himself a comic character or something. Yeah, yeah, but uh, <laughs> you look up to your, you know, superstar. You grew up, you know, grew up watching, you know. Yeah. So yeah, and and I think we're feeling of, that now. Yeah, today's today's um um. Shingo Takagi's match, if you look at him carefully, it's like, it looks almost as though he's like a modern day Ricky Choshu. Yeah. A little bit of that, but he, you know, he Close does, lines. but he does the tenure stuff too. The, the, the elbow chops, off the, uh, sure, the, the sure. goo punch, yeah. goo punch and then chop and then backwards elbow. Same yeah. spirit, same. He's kind of a kind of mixture of the what happened well, between those you two. You grew up watching, you loved so much, you know, and that's mm. your turn to do so now. Yeah. And as fans, the more we learn about it, I think we can really see that when you just watch anything. You can see yeah. it in Takagi. Really, it's really clear. His, the influence and inspiration. It's yeah. kind of like a, like a DNA. He left a DNA or bloodline or something. If you understand that aspect of it, you understand him better as a whole. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's do that next time. But the, we got to cover a little bit more other ground. You know, Ricky Choshi, I mean... Uh, Tenru's single match and tag team era with Stan Hansen. That made him bigger star during the era. And making a regular tag team with Stan Hansen was never done before. Japanese superstar Tenru and Stan Hansen making a tag team. You know, that, that was Baba's new idea. Yeah. So it's, if, if Brody, you know, didn't go down that way in 1988, it was going to be Jumbo and Brody making a tag team. And Tenru and Stan making a tag team, and they were gonna meet at the end of the year that that year, which never oh, happened. Oh wow! Imagine yeah. that. Yeah. So that was the what if part of it, the history. Yeah. Ooh. Interesting, huh? Very <clears throat> interesting to think about it. Very interesting. It's it's yeah, and it's just the more you think about it, the more you talk about it, the more you realize how his handprints are, Tenru's handprints are everywhere. All over. And not just in Japanese pro wrestling. Oh, American too. Then yeah. I think, yeah, yeah. And he's a, he's a part of that that uh, what is it? That lineage of Japanese wrestlers making excursion to Japan and, and going back and becoming these reverse exports. And yeah, and uh, he spoke good English again. He and Mike Hawk, Mike Hegstrand, Hawk mm. the Road Warrior. Those two are real good friends. Really? Yeah, <laughs> in Japan. Uh, I remember watching their tag match with Jumbo and Tenyu, and I think the, may, they might have been the only Japanese team that the Road the Warriors would take Road a bump Warriors. for. Yeah. Yeah. And then the following year, though, there was a trip trio 
you know, NWA, you know, tag, uh, the six-man tag team champion, Road Warriors plus Tenru, if you remember. Wow. Imagine if you wore <laughs> you the know, makeup N- too. I wish. Yeah, and yeah, NWA had a, you know, Crockett promotion had six-man tag team, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. made Road Warriors and Tenru put together as a trio, which is interesting. It's short-lived, but uh, now it's kind of interesting to look back. Yeah, and, and next time we'll also talk about in the 2000s, the dark period when he when he's hustle. He's also uh, he'd he'd be anywhere uh, on really small shows, on really massive shows as a guest. He'd be yeah. all over the indies. So it's like yeah, the major company or independent company. He didn't really care that he appeared. Yeah, and he didn't so have to compromise in that way, who he was. He became more of a Terry Funk of Japan. Huh? Very much, very much. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so and let's long re- career. Yeah, long career. Yeah. yeah, they 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 do cross paths a lot. We should talk more about Terry Funk and Tenryu as well. There's yes. there's a lot we can expand on the next time. But before we go, um, Fumi, can you tell everyone where people can find you online on okay. social media? Fumihiko Dayo, F-U-M-I-H-I-K-O-D-A-Y-O, Fumihiko Dayo on Twitter or just Fumi Saito on Facebook, yes. Um, and send a message if you're adding him on Facebook, people. Oh, that um, too. <laughs> yes. uh, so for, for me, I'm just... Yeah, sometimes you... Yeah, I don't know these people. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, the message should be appreciated. Yeah. Yeah. So next time we're going to get back together and we're going to delve more into yeah. uh, the rest of Tenure's career. Uh, so don't And also that. if people send me questions and a topic, you know, they want us to talk about. Yeah, let's... Yeah, we'll go into that. Only from Tokyo, Japan. Mr. Fumi Saito, welcome back. Hello from Tokyo. Okay, today is yeah. going to be part two. We're going to talk about Jinichiro Tenryu again. Jinichiro Tenryu. Um, yeah. So we kind of left off with Tenryu when he, 89, 90, when he's breaking out in all Japan is actually when he ended up leaving all Japan. After his first huge run, mm. right? Yeah. So from all Japan, we got a very rare instance where he didn't jump to New Japan, but there was a whole new company that was kind of put on his back in SWS. Right. Uh, SWS Super World Sports Mm -hmm. was owned by Optical, you Mm -hmm. know, company called Megane Super. Mm -hmm. And Megane is um, glasses, right? And uh, it, it was like, uh, was uh, kind of like a bought by your Walmart or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, uh, um, yeah. like an eye, eye, corporate money, corporate eye doctor place. Um, yeah. Megane Super was the name of the company. And uh, they initially wanted to buy UWF, the, 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 you know, second version of UWF, which ran between 89, 88 to 91. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 90. Yeah. You know, Akira Maeda, the, uh, Nobuhiko Takada, you know, Fujiwara, everybody, Minoru Suzuki, Masakatsu Funaki, everybody was in it. And they were running Tokyo Dome. And it, the, the original UWF was the closest thing to MMA then, right? Mm. It was the and, only thing that looked, it looked a lot different because nobody knew what a real fight looked like at the time yet. They didn't know the uh, mechanics. Not yet, not yet. And also... It was behind that the idea was see, Maeda had, had vision. 
and Fujiwara had vision that the, they uh, are making professional wrestling a leg legitimate contest. Or, well, it still worked, still worked though, but uh, that legitimate enough where people look at it as a real fight. The idea was that. But uh, the whole professional wrestling was a make believe, right? <laughs> make, you know, make believe. So I, uh, uh, but they evolved. But uh, their idea was to make their wrestling as uh, legitimate as possible. That's UWF. So they eliminate a lot of moves like, you know, bouncing off the ropes or fighting outside the ring or using cheers or, I mean, nothing silly. No silly and, stuff, no comedy. And not even tag team mm -mm. match. An all single match, that could look like a competition. Anyhow, what I'm getting, you know, what I'm getting is that, that the owner, Hachiro Tanaka of Megane Super, thought that was it. You know, like, a, this is the real wrestling. And it was basically real marked out on it, right? And wanted to buy UWF, but that didn't happen. But didn't happen. So somebody said, "You can start your own wrestling company, right?" And he put a lot and, of money uh, behind it. Oh, millions and millions! Tokyo yeah. Dome show, even. Yeah, like uh, like the draw. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a funny thing. So I'll get to it, but uh, when you go to Mega the Super around the around the time period, you know, go. They had stock of this invitation ticket for a Tokyo Dome for free tickets. Ah, you know? so if you wanted That's a new it. pair of glasses, you could also get maybe two pairs. You can just walk in and get that piece, you know, like a, like a grab ten of them, twenty oh. of them, you know. <laughs> <laughs> As they, it was sitting there, and uh, what the that the Megane Super people was somewhat a somewhat a victim of circumstance that way that the, somebody told them that's how wrestling you know wrestling industry draw no that's not true if you're popular you can you know fill up tokyo dome mm -hmm. right but uh so you so they were told you know well that the, uh, when you're on the tokyo dome you have to give tens and thousands of free ticket out that's how they fill up the tokyo dome didn't you know it's like lies right <laughs> but uh, that's what they did anyhow they went to buy keiji muto first you know mm. <laughs> the muto and then they gave me this, and with this you know hang they had the key you know for uh, like a real expensive condominium in tokyo look you can have this apartment you know and then you know it's like a, just trying to buy out you know keiji muto's contracts from new japan and keiji muto at you know at the time what he was like a, still like a 28 29 mm. and that came back from wcw and start, just start having his own run with new japan smart enough to decline that no i don't want this you know mm. then they met with tenru and 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 his group and uh tenru was like a one-man band at the time you know and uh okay let's make this sws super world sports big budget behind it tenru <clears throat> tenru is a man uh by the way english pronunciation is tenru huh always yeah the ryu <laughs> ryu R -R -R is so hard in english speaking people yeah i don't know it's how to tenru. Yeah, tenru. tenru genichiro right mm -hmm. yeah, but the most people even people like nick bakwenko was saying tenru. tenru tenru i think that's easier or 
Yeah, it's it, one of those uh, sounds that we don't have an equivalent for it in English. It's just a sound. Right, like, like your TH sound. TH sound or R and L sounds. I mean, yeah, we don't have that in Japanese. There's nothing like that. So, so yeah. It's yeah. our, so our it's, weakness. Not my weakness. <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> Anyhow, that's a, we get that. So, as the uh, Megane Super people went to Tenru and uh, he was chosen and uh, he was already to leave New, uh, all Japan. The thing is, uh, by then, uh, all like all the actuality, Tenru and Jumbotsura program, like a real strong single match program, three-year run, it kind of ran its course too. Mm-hmm. You know, they had, they draw, they, they drew packed Budokan after Budokan after Budokan. You know, so you know, let's go back a couple, couple years that, you know, that, uh, there was tag team Jumbo Tsura and Tenru, babyface tag team in all Japan, top. Then Tenru turned heel, basically, in 1987. And, 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 and then there was your single match, very single, uh, very important single match program, Tenru against Jumbo. Jumbo remained babyface, of course, and Tenru became the strongest heel, you know. Well, not quite. In Japan, kind of subtle, right? Mm. I mean, not like he didn't turn bad guy or anything, you know. But uh, you turn and you know create your own faction, more like. And uh, yeah, well, basically heel, and uh, he became equal to Jumbo. Actually, Jumbo had everything going for him for decades, right? Top guy and all the single match, important matches, titles, championship, and all the winning and. Jumbo Tenru was clearly like right underneath him. I mean, Jumbo was so far ahead, uh, according to Bruiser Brody. Jumbo was so far ahead of everybody, I mean, skill wise, and yeah, and, uh, like better worker than any, anybody. Anyhow, turning Tenru made him equal, and and actually, J- Jumbo had everything but popularity. See, when somebody has everything like that, he actually isn't the most popular guy either. No? Jumbo, yeah, Jumbo Tsura was a top baby face, but he was not exactly the most popular wrestler either. It's, it's kind of weird. He was know? a top positioned guy, but yeah, not yeah, maybe yeah. the crowd's favorite. Not number one. Not, maybe. Yeah, cause, because he was so number one for, I mean, for so long that the... He, uh, people almost resented his position, you mm-hmm. know, and back their head. Is it like Roman Reigns in WWE? It's so protected, mm-hmm. right? Obviously, yeah. But the fans, yeah. fans, uh, well, more like a John Cena, John Cena at the beginning, okay, like cold and hot at beginning. Yeah, yeah, at beginning. Yeah, but anyhow, that the that by having Tenru, you know, get over so you know so much, he's so popular. Heel though, but the so popular that the, that made Jumbo popular too. Going against each other in single match program, you know what I'm saying? Mm. It's like almost like a chemistry. Yeah, in some ways they have opposite dynamics, opposite chemistries to each other because of the backgrounds. The backgrounds are actually pretty different, but both are two templates for the successful Japanese wrestler. One, oh, Jumbo yeah. is the wrestler's wrestler. Uh, yeah. He went to the Olympics. He he's yep. a big dude, but on the other hand, there's a different kind of uh, big man's wrestling, sumo wrestling. Yeah, that's Ricky Dozan, and also 
That's that lineage. Yeah, yeah. that's a father, further father of professional wrestling. Mm. And also Jumbo, college graduate, Olympic wrestler. Mm. Then then started working uh all Japan giant Baba's old Japan like your elite. Mm. Yeah, I was sent to you know Amarillo, Texas and learned the funk style. You know, such elite. He was very privileged. He came back. He was very privileged. <clears throat> Yeah, a lot of support. And upon yeah, upon his return, Baba and Jumbo Tsuda became tag team, and you know they had a tag team program against Prime Time, Tori Funk Jr. and Terry Funk at their prime. That means everything. It's almost like handed silver platter ish. Mm. He well, he deserved it because he's so talented. Mm. At the same time, yeah, Tenru is a type of wrestler, you know, like a former sumo wrestler that he started his career when he was fourteen. You know. Mm. Yeah, his sumo debut was okay. He was born okay. Tenru was born in 1950. Okay, mm-hmm. and his sumo debut was 1964. That's like 14 years old. He's right? a boy. <laughs> Eighth grade, ninth grade. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and he had 12 year run as a sumo wrestler. So he actually grew out of it. I mean, I mean, grew up with that culture, not just sumo wrestling, but everything about it. You know, living in the dojo, living in the sumo bear, lifestyle, chanko food. And uh, yeah, sumo is, is, has, has its own culture and own value to mm. it. And he carries this sumo-ness. That's the word, mm. you know. Yeah. He has this sumo culture-ish, you know, culture thing. He carried that to this day. Oh, yeah. And in, in a face, famous interview, he was saying that, yeah, uh, the, the professional wrestling was great, but uh, as culture-wise or like your every the things you do every day and how you look at things and how you look at the world deep down he's still sumo wrestler he said mm. you know some of the things you did you know age between age 14 to 26 that's that make you you know yeah very much so and sumo yeah. was uh, actually a lot more popular when he was during his time in general sumo was on TV for the first couple, you know, for the first time when it was getting really big in the 70s and 80s. Um, Sumo has been always big, though. Mm, but um, so he, what I mean to say is that he's lived in the public. He's lived in the public. Yeah, eye. yeah, yeah. He had no and problems. Also, he was like, there are always like a 700 sumo wrestlers in, in, in Japan, 700 of them, and, and 50 sumo bears, you know. Only top 40 guys appears on TV. Mm every day nhk you know during the during the summer tournament which just ended you know the haku hakuho won the tournament and all that yes the, yeah uh tenru was on okay when he was 24 he was already in the top 40 sumo ranking wow so he was on tv you know the reason the reason he retired early from sumo wrestling was that he um there was a split between two sumo bears you know who inherit the sumo? Sumo bears mean stable, you know. Only fifty pairs, fifty dojos in sumo world, and you have to either inherit or you buy the stock of sumo thing, and you become that dojo or hairs, you know. Anyhow, that his father figure, sumo bear chief, you know, had this uh, split, you know, and then, uh, he um, he decided to leave with uh, uh, instead of taking size of, of anybody and uh, he won't 
wants to, he wanted, Tenru wanted to finish this particular tournament, and there's a 15 dates. He, if you know the Kachikoshi, mm-hmm. if you win eight and losing seven, that's like a win, mm-hmm. right? Out of, out of 15 dates, he wants to win this tournament and walk out of small on his own term, which that's exactly what he did at the age of 26. Then he signed with Giant Baba's All Japan, and his wrestling career was another 40 years, though. In a year between 1976 to 2015, oh my gosh, he wrestled until he was 65. 40 year wrestling career. Well, 12 years sumo wrestling and another 40 years as a professional wrestler. And that is so he all to, yeah all together he wrestled like 52 years. It's an intense <laughs> lifestyle. It's just um... that's so, so that he is the he is Mr. Wrestling more so than any anybody yeah anybody. Yes, and I got to say, like, there's no sumo in the Olympics, but I got to say, because of his experience, he's him and Jumbo had not the same experience, but very similar and like rival experiences to make them great rivals, great partners, the ace combi. Yeah, Tenru was always more popular, but his his run as like a chasing, the you know, chasing after Jumbo, because Jumbo was always not above him, single match meant so much you know yeah the serious single match because japanese wrestling fans always loved japanese against japanese single match on top right i mean seriousness and it was tenru's quest to you know win you know win over jumbo but therefore he will become number one guy in all japan altogether so that was a very exciting time, 88, 89, 90. But uh, even as good as the Jumbo Tenru program was, if you did that for three years straight, I mean, single match after single match after single match, it kind of ran its course. It, and Tenru felt that he had to look for something, huh? Mm. Yeah, then, then, then there was a SWS opportunity, you know, that he run his own company. The only thing was, though, because... See, Ten, the idea Tenru had was that the reason they are not above Giant Baba and Anthony Inoki was that these generate that gen, it's their own company. See, Jam, Anthony Inoki, when he was 31, he was already running New Japan Pro Wrestling. Jump, you know, Giant Baba, when he was about 34, that, that he walked out of old JWA and formed his own old Japan company. And he brought the network channel, Nippon TV channel four with him. And uh, those, you know, both Baba and Inoki were like your owner, promoter and a director and producer and a top guy in, in, in the ring and the champion. And that's what they were not doing. Jumbo still employee. And Tenru felt like, yeah, he doesn't want to be just employee, employee. Does that make sense? I see, yeah, because Jumbo never really had the position ever in his career. He was a wrestler, and that was it. But top paid, though. Top paid. Yeah. He he was a top wrestler. Top kind of guy. Top talent. Yeah. But that's what uh, Tenyu would end up doing when he would go on to SWS, and that was short-lived, but he would go on to be that kind of Inoki Baba promoter figure, too. And the owner of his own company, and also he became essentially the very first true freelancer, free agent. Mm-hmm. A very successful one too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
that uh, yeah, I was looking at his not a record, but the, see, he, when while he was with Old Japan, he had you know he had match against Baba, right? Mm-hmm. He had match against Jumbo Tsura, or people like Hiroshi Wajima, another former Grand Champion sumo wrestler. Mm-hmm. And he had a match against Dory Funk, Terry Funk, the Harley Race, the Nick Barkwinkle, the Tiger Jit Singh, that the Abdul the Butcher. That he faced every single name superstars when when he was working for All Japan. After that, during the SWS period, he had a single match program against Hulk Hogan at the Tokyo Dome, uh, which was big. Then after that. Uh, he secretly signed a one-year contract with, with New Japan as an outsider. While while he was with New Japan, he had a single match against Inoki, the Fujinami, the Riki Choshu, the, the surprisingly enough, great Muta, Chono, the Hashimoto, Hase, Kensuke, every single superstar from that era in New Japan, with New Japan, that Tenru had single match with them. How about the uh, Ricky Choshu match at uh, Tokyo Dome in '93? That was uh, what sixty thousand. That was uh, like a second run, though, because when Ricky Choshu and his stable was as Japan pro wrestling, mm. you know, uh, they were with All Japan. That was a top pro- program. All Japan's Tenru against Japan pro wrestlers Ricky Choshu uh, went against each other uh, for like a two-year period. That. The, Riki Choshu and Jumbo Tsura only had one single match in Osaka in 1985, and it was one hour Broadway, and they never did that again. History, you know, apparently. And at the same time, Riki Choshu and Tenru always had this exciting single match. They, they had chemistry. So the new, new Japan version of Tenru against Riki, they could do it, you know? It was still exciting. It felt a lot. Are you with it me? felt a lot more like, um, you know, everybody says that NWO and the UWF, New Japan, to have a connection. But I always thought the Tenru and or, or, Tenru with War in New Japan, or Ricky Choshu with his JWP, JPW, whatever it was. Yeah, that felt more like what NWO did in the in the mid nineties. Yeah, yeah, because. Um, People believe in different company, you know, a company against company has more seriousness, mm. you know? And, yeah, because even with wrestling, you know, um, one has to go down, which they always do. Yeah. It's like in, in reality, you know, after this New Japan against UWFI, UWFI has business. It went out of business for real. Disappeared. You know? Disappeared, yeah. Well, the reason they had the company against company, they were, you know, the company was going down. It's, you know, that's why they took that business. And remember who won all of those matches that night? It wasn't many of the uh, <laughs> UWF. New Japan. No, it was, uh... Yeah, because, yeah, as popular as New, you know, UWFI was at the time, that uh, whomever's booking it will have the upper hand, huh? Yeah, and uh, I think it was Choshu who booked that, yeah? Ricky Choshu was like a very creative as a booker, you know? People don't give him enough credit, you know? After Inoki left to become a politician, Inoki chose Ricky Choshu to be the locker room leader and the booker. I mean, exclusively. The peop- you would think Fujinami would take that place, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't. I mean, like, I don't know. It, uh, the leadership, I guess, that uh, 
Ricky Choshu had more, uh, I guess, I don't know, uh, not a locker room popularity, but the people respected him and the, comp- the company staff respected him that uh, that he was a locker room leader. Like he was, remember Ricky Choshu was college jock? He was an Olympian as well. Yeah. And, um, and he was always a leader of something, whether it was in all Japan, he was leading people. And if it was... Ishingun so, or, yeah. And, so he, I guess he just had that, uh, that's his attitude. I mean, like, he reminds me of like a college jock from your fraternity house. Maybe we could say like Matt Riddle. Yeah? I don't know. Well, that's, that's the new jock. Oh, okay. Oh, the, the jock is more like a football jock. Ah, okay. So yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he's a, a rugby jock or something like that. Yeah. They, uh... Yeah, well, it was a wrestling team and he went to Olympic, you know? And also was in the college team in Senshu University, and yeah, he was always in that kind of atmosphere. And you got to factor that in when we think about it. When he's booking this UWF show, um, he was never. I could. I think I'm gonna. I think he wasn't the biggest fan of the UWF style, so we didn't see much of that up until that point. And actually, until it felt like he was out of the booking position. But he was. I have to give him more credit. Uh, he was very self. He was not selfish at all. In in uh, you know the the booking, the way they booked the match and uh, finish and all these things that uh, Ricky Joshi was never selfish. He never put you know put himself over that much. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but by 1996, after that G1, I don't really see him. He wasn't in too many big programs. He would be in you know grudge match. Right, was giving that's a. Uh, you know, Keiji Muto, the Shinya Hashimoto, Masahiro Chono, Hiroshi Hase, Kensuke Sasaki, that Ricky Choshu was calling them uh, five top guys we have. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like he stepped down pretty much, you know. How about and, uh, Choshu's, did he have much involvement with the junior division in the 90s? That was always Liger. was always Liger. So he didn't have anything. Yeah. He stayed hands off. He said. No, no, no. But he he look at hmm. it and he okays it. Because oh, sure. he's a booker. Like a Vince McMahon yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, but uh, you had another team. The whole team for the, you have 15 wrestlers to deal with, you know, when it comes to this junior heavyweight division. And it's always been Liger's, like, like his lifetime job, you know? He's the uh, junior's manager. Uh, Yeah, like, uh, yeah, yeah, manager. And also that uh, he's a performer too, you know? And also that the creative director. Right. He comes up with stuff. Jacob. And he knows so much about division and how small guys work and how, how they should look, how, how they should not look, you know. Mm. And uh, heavyweight finish and junior heavyweight finish should be very different. Don't you think? In, that's the very reason they have two divisions. Oh, hypothetically, yeah. That's the thing. I, th- I yeah. think the style now that we see all over the world is this kind of mix of what used to be junior heavyweight that's just now... You know, everybody jumps off the top rope. Everybody does really fast-paced, Lucha Libre-style uh, sequences in their matches for a little moment here. That's what's making, that's what's making them not so special. That's though, right. You know, you want to be different from anybody else. You don't want to look like anybody else. You have, to be, you have to be very original, you know. In that, Roman Reigns is pretty original. John Cena is pretty original. Last night, yeah. Bobby Lashley, Goldberg thing. I got excited. Wow, these this is gonna be a very believable program, you know. 
If they were going to do any program with the current guys on the roster, I think Lashley is probably the most interesting, isn't it? Yeah, because you may they were making Bobby Lashley so strong that uh, open challenge and key three. Oh yeah, that's a pretty good match. Then beat him right away, right? Then open challenge and then Goldberg, Goldberg. It's like, wow, wow, that's a perfect, perfect storyline, you know? And uh, that's making Bobby Lashley even bigger star and more believable. He's someone... Well, that's another subject for another day. Yeah, and especially uh, Goldberg. I think Goldberg's time in Japan is something we should probably touch on eventually. Eventually. But we're talking, talking about the part two of part Tenru. Part two of Tenru, so, yeah. Old Japan, strong Old Japan run. Then SWS and WAR run. Then he had... He never was publicized, but he was under contract with... New Japan and had program with every single superstars of, of New Japan. And at, at the same time, Tenru's WAR and the falling UWFI's Takada, Tenru and Nobuhiko Takada had a single match too. Remember? That's right. He, he did the uh, UWF style. Point yeah, system. yeah. This is amazing. Amazing, right? And he did. I mean, this he, was a 90. 19- he's, I mean, strong, tough guy that he can take all the kicks, all the submissions, like, ha ha, you know. But his Tenru chop, like your Ric Flair's backhand chop, is a traditional wrestling move, right? Mm. But that traditional pro wrestling move is just as believable as what UWF have, have done. And even though he did that, he does this style, and then not too long after. He's doing the exploding barbed wire match with Onita. Tenru against Atsushi Onita. Oh my gosh, same person, same year. <laughs> and it's so you know? amazing. That's how amazing. Yeah, amazing, right? He did, but it's he didn't really. Yeah, from himself. one extreme to the other. Totally, exactly, totally different ends of the spectrum. Uh, oh, like B movie to a horror movie splatter or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, and later on, he would then, go back yeah. and and do. More of that stuff, and he, he'll be. Fl- he has single match against Hayabusa too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, like in the next couple of years, he had a single match against Hayabusa, and one time he even had the Hayabusa mask on. You know, I mean, how that's how versatile he is. And at the same time, he always had single match against Mr. Pogo or people like Kendo Narasaki, or he even had single match against Grey Sasuke. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, he never seemed like he had to compromise uh, his wrestling style or his in-ring personality. He was the same. Always the he same. He was the same. Yeah. yeah. Always the same. Then he went back and forth and back and forth. That the, the WAR, maybe he was not, uh, didn't have um, enough manpower to run his full-time company, you know, or his own shows as WAR. But uh, Tenru himself always had position because every company wanted him. Like Ric Flair. Mm. Ric Flair standing there. So every company wants to bring him over for if he works that show, that becomes a big show, right? Actually, I wanted to ask you about Tenyu. He had a couple of matches, pretty big matches with Ric Flair over in Japan and both all Japan. SWS. Uh, SWS. Did, he, did yeah. he have any match? Or was it just a, Ric Flair? Did he only wrestle Jumbo on those uh, late 80s tours? Or did he have. I think that was Baba's choice. Okay. Yeah. They would uh... when when they had Ric Flair against Jumbo, I think Tenru had something like Tenru against Ricky Steamboat UN title. That's right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, a, but it's they were promoted equal 
but in the back of fans, you know, fans' head, you scratch your head, it's always like a right underneath. Huh? Up until he left yeah. for SWS. Right, you need to leave there, you know, to leave your nest, and uh, you, you have to have your own company or own ring or own TV show to do so, and you become, you know, like uh, your own. Yeah. So Ken was big as a heel, but uh, it was the best thing that happened to him was leaving all Japan. He will eventually come back, but uh, yeah, the greatest thing for him was explore the world and the old Japan, up until that point in time, old Japan wrestler would not really work for New Japan Inoki people. You know what I'm saying? He was the only one. And, yeah, and then the people were thinking, I mean, as a, maybe like, a, including myself, see, old Japan's Giant Baba's old Japan style professional wrestling and Anthony Inoki's New Japan style professional wrestling, they were considered two different styles. And when you have Tenru, it kind of got, well, actually, it was the same. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Kind of, yeah. <laughs> he, he's the yeah. bridging. Uh... See, like, the reason I'm saying that when I was a little kid, I mean, as, as, as ridiculous as it sounds, when I was a little kid, Giant Baba was, a, you know, dressing was show business. It's fake. Hmm. Antonio Inoki's dressing was a, that's real, real deal. A lot of people believed it, though. Yeah. That's, yeah, when I was a little kid, that was that, that uh, mindset of wrestling fans. Well, I can only tell you from my perspective, I, you know, I didn't grow up with it, so I'm growing, I, 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 but I, I, but what I, you have maybe better observation. Yeah. What I mean to say is just as an outsider, as an American, I see more of New Japan as a martial arts root, kind of martial arts rooted, Japanese martial arts rooted. oriented. Yeah, there's something yeah. more action oriented and um, more Japanese, whereas All Japan was the Japanese extension of the NWA. Yeah, because old japan and giant baba and establishment nwa national wrestling alliance had the strong connection and giant baba was the only promoter who can bring in your current nwa world title i mean world champion hardy race or you know whomever had it jack briscoe or rick flair to your the funks to you know all the nwa superstar that is automatically goes to old japan mm -hmm. whereas new japan when i was a little kid they didn't have any famous Americans. They had Tiger Jeet sing all year long, you mm. know? <laughs> Running around. Which was good. I mean, in general, wrestling fan, general, you know? Not the mania, mania. The ones, you know, who watch wrestling on TV every week. Yes, Jan Baba's, you know, regular opponent was Abdullah the Butcher, and Inoki's regular opponent all year long was Tiger Jeet Singh, you know? And then Inoki came up with the idea, like Antonio Inoki, making challenge to Muhammad Ali, right? That the people, nobody thought it would actually take place. But, I, but that happened, you know, that happened. Inoki against Muhammad Ali, that made him famous worldwide. And after that, um, also, Anthony Inoki always used prime time under the giant as big heel. So when Taiga Jit Singh was not on tour, it was Inoki against Andre the Giant. Andre worked heel and he actually was real good worker. Mm. Did you know that? Especially when uh, he had his matches a little later with Stan Hansen, about 10 years after that. Oh, that was good. Yeah, all good. Yeah, so 
all Japan Baba had all the superstars, you know, and Inoki was like more like a Japanese oriented one man show, huh? Yeah, and, yeah. Because uh, well, Inoki bring in you know some wrestler from America, he beat everybody. You know? There was something about uh, he wanted us to believe how real the pain is in all the shows, and right, right, right. That was a mindset. And he yeah. wanted to so use there was a, like two different products, two different products. Yeah, very different. But it, it's both wrestling, though. Definitely. So something, yeah, something we skipped by having Tenru in 1990s, you know, like in the all through 90s into late in 19, into even millennium. Having somebody like Tenru who had experienced both styles. That's right. It wasn't all that much different. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. By then, I was older, so I understood. He did it. Uh, I guess Terry Funk did something similar too in, in the 90s where he just kind of, but not completely similar because I feel like Tenyu didn't change himself where Terry Funk would kind of evolve. It evolved, yeah, yeah. It's not like smile, big face, biggest baby face, the most famous cowboy Texan in Japan, you know. Uh, they're still popular, but he had this another run as a living legend and he had Sabu single program. That he was running Terry, Terry Funk against Sabu was running all through you know like all over the United States independence as main event. That gave Sabu a very good superstar rub, and he became number one deathmatch guy. And uh, the style eventually became ECW. Mm. Yeah, so it was like a revolution in its own. Yeah. And if you remember very first ECW pay-per-view, barely legal, it was about Terry Funk. He was the hero. Yeah, yeah. So that's another run. So so Tenru is kind of similar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but Tenru, and he went to his own. own. He did anything. He and it, he would continue to do any any sort of wrestling. And yeah, had a single match against a woman wrestler Shinobu Kandori. Oh, that's right. And yeah, and didn't even wasn't even comedy. No, he. He was able to have, you know, volleyball match against this woman too. UWF yeah. style Didn't he? violence. UWF style violence, yeah. yeah. So really rough. Old Japan style, New Japan style, and they had a match against Takada, UWF style, had a single match against Onita, the, the Onita's world, and later on Hayabusa, the Sasuke. The, after 2000, he had single match against people like Akebono. Mm, that's right. Yeah. And, and during this time too, he went to WWF for um for two Royal Rumbles, ninety three and ninety four. Who is Kitao? Kitao, yep. yeah, another. Oh, and and WrestleMania wrestler. seven, yeah. So we would. Kitao, yeah, and then yeah. he was in the. Well, WWE, WWF at the time didn't give me enough time. You know, if he spent like a quarter of a year and run program and and worked Royal Rumble and WrestleMania, he probably remembered him. Little bit better, mm. you know, or, or had actual program of sort. It was like always guest, you know. Yeah, photo op. Yeah, yeah. But the Royal Rumble, they had the moment that they briefly touched with people like Ric Flair, Roddy Piper, and Bob Backlund in there. That the, they exchanged some moves, you know. Mm. I mean, like saying hello, right? It's it's a cool uh, way to maybe think about maybe this could happen. You take the picture, you can fantasize. Oh, maybe this could happen down the road. It had that effect, but there was no payoff. It was just it yeah, was what it was. Well, it was okay. But also, it wasn't each you know WWE wasn't 
but but Tenru wasn't that the, they were not really committed to each other all that deep then you know but to, to be able to have any success with WWE you have to really come to states and live there and spend certain amount of time yeah you have to live here you have to have a full excursion yeah yeah so like not until Takamichinoku and you know Funaki and all these guys actually who moved over there and spent eight years over there to be on TV mm-hmm. and it's Nakamura you know the Tajiri Kenta. Ta- yeah Tajiri was there you know but like he lived in Mexico he worked for WCW then to WWE and he spent like eight nine years in the States yeah he wrote a book yeah, so, about so different yeah Anyhow, uh, all around, after Millennium, we have to point out that uh, Tenru came back and worked more in a few more shows with New Japan, and they had matches with another generation. Like he had match with Kojima, the Tenzan, the Nagata, the Manab Nakanishi. That generation, they had Tenru rub too. Remember? How about? Or even Shin- right Shinsuke that. Nakamura and Tanahashi. They even had. They even had match. And right before that, maybe maybe like ten years before that, there was a moment where WAR wasn't. It kind of started to dissolve, and we saw mm-hmm. Tenyu go over and jump to uh, All Japan, back to All Japan after years, uh, and have some after, right after Misawa and his guys left and created Pro Wrestling Noah, mm-hmm. right? And uh, yeah. he Pro Wrestling Noah took Network Channel Channel Four Nippon TV with them. And everybody thought all Japan was going down. That's when Mrs. Baba picked up the phone and called Tenru. First time in 10 years or so. And Tenru said, I'll be there. Made like a man's man, huh? Mm. <laughs> yeah. He's like, a, that's how he's remembered. He's like, I, I mean, I don't want to sound like a chauvinist, but uh, like he's like an old fashioned man's man type, huh? He's uh, like uh, John Wayne. John Wayne, yeah, yeah. Or Samurai. Well, John Wayne's a cowboy, so Tenru should be big Samurai. Yeah, he could be huh? Mifune or somebody. <laughs> yeah, so it really saved all Japan, though, really, until Muto came in. Mm-hmm. And actually, that version of 2002, Muto and Tenru had incredible single match at Budokan, too. That was a really special match. Why was that so special? Why do you think I that was so special? I guess it was like a veteran Tenru against veteran you know, great um, veteran Muto with shaved head. I mean, new version of 2002 version of Keiji Muto, another run. Because he was almost gonna, not gonna come back. You know, he left New Japan and he joined WCW and signed the contract. He was dying days of WCW. Mm. And Keiji Muto was kind of testing water. Like he might want to move to States and stay, you know? And uh, yeah, and uh, coming from New Japan and signing contracts with all Japan is like really, really. I mean, in Japan, it's like changing company is a big move, you know? It's not, yeah, it's not as fluid as it is maybe in other countries where you can work here and you get another job and people understand. Yeah, and Japanese people don't change company that's right a, out of college mindset, right? you start out of college and you go to your company you want to work there for another 30 years until you retire your new family that doesn't happen that yeah yeah it doesn't happen that way anymore though but uh, 
that was the like way of life for a long time huh? i think st that mentality for a lot of people is still there i mean it, it's definitely different it's changed a lot but i think uh yeah yeah, yeah it, it's still kind of the common idea you go to college yeah and then work work for yeah college and you start working for a big company and become the part of that family and right? you do ojt for like two years and then you you get you just work your way up to the top of whatever you can in the position management or yeah the position or yeah that's like a really like a choking in my eyes you know i never did that yeah yeah oh i i agree but that's a like a common yeah a lot lifestyle. of people do yes yeah, and the fringe benefit and bonuses and, and, and uh, all the, yeah, uh, that that's a safe way to live. It's huh? very safe because they really do take care of you and they'll never fire you. Right. Well, that has changed a lot, though, in the last decades or so. Yeah. Know? But, uh, yeah, but the, I know what you're saying. The mentality is still there. Mm. Yeah. So, but uh, Tenru is so versatile that I, we just, we just uh, touched upon his program against Takada or people like Onita or Hayabusa or even Kandori and Akebono or even had the, the, the Naoya Ogawa you know, match. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Naoya Ogawa Some, was, somebody, it, was, a, was it, it was kind of fun. Tenyu was always kind of on the pulse of whatever was the hot thing. The hottest, hottest. He was the first one who was in touch and would connect with the fans because he wasn't connected. Not to so much himself, but the promoter and whomever producing at the time would come up with Tenru because who would this you know, person should face? And if this person, rising superstar or the, the, the new superstar who, who they want to sell, that put this person against Tenru, that's automatic big match. You know, it's automatic so Tenryu, match, yeah. and no one really because Tenyu is is alone. He he represents himself. He doesn't represent the company. It's a, a big name, big name, but nobody really. Um, it doesn't really affect the company really severely. If something, if he just leaves, it's it's like Bruiser Brody coming in and out of a territory. Right, very much so. Very much so. I was going to say, yeah, where that's uh, very rare. I don't know it, that really stopped happening around well tenru is the the only one probably the last one for a long time and you know, yeah. we're talking about the muto match 2002 this was the first time Budokan, i was there he, oh that was but he match. was doing things i'd never seen him do before like frankensteiner <clears throat> off the top rope or tope suicide. it didn't look that great though oh, but not be, great. because that was uh that was saying hello and shaking hands to muto that's what muto does right ah uh, yeah that's right he said i can yeah. do it too yeah, and then also they were working legs, you know, that, you know, Keiji Muto was using the, the dragon screw leg sweep into figure four leg lock as a finish, mm -hmm. right? That was like his later version of his, you know, finish. And they work by body parts and the storytelling matches and they stopped the, it's like a, almost like a, like a trend of like a big match oriented Japanese moves, you know, not Japanese wrestling isn't just a bunch of big high spot and big moves. It's like, look, here's a story, you know, storytelling, traditional, very old fashioned wrestling match. And that's better than the young people's high flying match kind of thing. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And they proved they could do that and add <laughs> some high flying to it too, if they wanted to. 
for five seconds, yes. But it's not high-flying, big, much-oriented moves. They only had maybe, say, one, one or two big moves till the end. But it was all about very traditional, who's going to have figure for leg lock type of storyline. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And the, the big moves feel that much bigger because they're not a big part of the match. Yeah, they don't do it too much. Yeah. It's just a memorable One after part. another, yeah. yeah, it's like a big match. Yeah, not a big match, but the big move and the big high spot and just a whole bunch of spectator thing one after another. And pretty soon, it doesn't mean anything. It's, it's, it's like, like the final uh, action scene in a movie. It's not the last part of the movie, but it's the it's just the final action scene in the store yeah and i always make this uh, reference like it's going to some you know expensive restaurant for lunch and you had big buffet you know there's so many different items but i you don't remember what you ate today it's like big buffet i mean too many too many items you know so you don't need that many things on your plate to have great dinner just two or three nice things you know so at the end of the day it was Meat and potatoes and veggie. How's that? Yeah, good combination. Yeah, yeah, and soulful. I mean, like a soul comforting. You know? Yeah, and that's what you needed, you know. Especially that time. Actually, that's a good segue because we have to also talk about Tenu in his brief stint in Hustle. I remember him. Yeah, yeah, that was like a dark. I mean, I talk about dark period of Japanese wrestling. It was so dark that I yeah. Uh, Ah <laughs> oh, man, when I think about it, it's already 15, 16 years ago, like 2004, 2005, 2006. Mm-hmm. I really felt that the wrestling business as a whole was going down. You know? It's like a bad dream. Oh, a bad dream. And Weekly Fight, Weekly Gang, they all went out of business, you know, and then a couple, I mean, three or four, those newsstand, newspaper, you know, sports papers that we talked about, they went out of business. And things are going to all internet, but not all journalists migrated to the internet, you know, the, the category either. So it's like all new people, and this, this all happened all at the same time. The, the internet, not just the internet, but that they started having the moving picture in on the screen within the internet. So that would change television and that would change DVD, you know, and all these things. It's, everything was changing. And uh, yeah, Tenru was not exactly in his prime time anymore, but uh, he was still on top, age 60 or something. Mm. But uh, yeah, he was still in the ring. And uh, that's when I said about Naoya Ogawa or people like Akebono, you know. And, uh, or he had match, uh, it's, he was in the same ring with people like Takayama, you know. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. And he would have, All new era. he would show up in Pro Wrestling Noah in the early 2000s as well, have matches with Misawa, Kenta Kobashi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so he was always yeah, relevant. I, I, I believe, yeah, that. Oh, relevant, of course. Like, Takayama was the greatest. Was going to be the greatest candidate to be like Tenru. Mm, you know? I could see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If he didn't get hurt, you know. Takayama was a big, big guy. We should talk about him sometime too. Yeah, yeah. I uh, spoke with his wife not too long ago. Yeah, that he's in 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 a rehab. You know that the uh, facility still. But after COVID, I cannot visit him at this moment. Oh yeah, really? it, 
yeah, because you know other people will be you know infected or you know the whole building is very controlled. You I know, that only immediate family, not even the immediate family can go there. You have to register and make an appointment. You know? I see. So I uh, text you know her. You know, when can I, you know, come and visit that? Uh, please text me again, you know, back and all these things. I I used to come and visit maybe every three months or so. Yeah. Mm. We sat and just talked wrestling, of course. <laughs> he, uh, he grew up as a big wrestling fan. No secret about it, you know. So we talk about a lot of wrestling. It's just fun. And he was on the undercard of those matches that Tenyu had with Takara back in the 90s. He was one of those UWF. When he, yeah, when he debuted with UWF International, that he was still one of the undercard young guy. Huh? Short hair, yeah. short part yeah. hair. Very, Always tall. Very tall. Always yeah. Really, uh, it really stood Almost out. Almost skinny. Yeah, lanky, yeah. lanky. Yeah, he got very big yeah, towards his the, end. I think he surpassed Takada after that. I think so. Yeah, and also Takada went to MMA and he was never able to come back. No, you know? he was. Then when he came back to you know, when Takada came back to traditional style professional wrestling, it was more of a definition of hustle. Mm. And of all things, Takada was wearing Hitler costume. Bad. <laughs> Remember? Yeah, Takada was Hitler costume. And oh, Tenyu was well, he was wearing some kind of costume as well. Pants. He was wearing the, yeah, the uh, army the, pants or yeah, black pants. Yeah, uh, dancing. I think he he had to have this, you know, that the back what he called it like a big corset that the, you know he was all taped up, you know, his knees to lower back to all these places. And he was leaning forward like old person, and uh, but when he goes into the ring, he can do it, you know. Yeah. Then that. After that, he even made appearance and he had a brief match against this generation of Shinsuke Nakamura or Hiroshi Tanahashi or Katsuyori Shibata. They touched each other in the ring. All the way to, remember his retirement match in 2015? The very last match Tenru had was against Kazuchika Okada. Mm -hmm. So all the way from Giant Baba to Kazuchika Okada, he faced it. You know? And that was on kind of his own show. Like that. He was like his own. It wasn't any oh, promotion. retirement yeah. show. Yeah, <clears throat> that's something that right. doesn't really happen either. He he didn't need a promotion. He ran him. his own yeah. show. No, no. That when he had this retirement ceremony and his very last show, that's his own show. Actually, her his daughter ran, was a promoter. A tenure project that she's in charge of that. Yeah, mm. and they still run Tenru project. To this day, mm -hmm. they just this last weekend, Tenru Project had a show, you know, and Tenru comes in, or of course not gonna wrestle, but he comes in with his cane and watches his show. Oh yeah, I, I, before I forget, he Tenru as of last week, it was very interesting. Tenru banned thigh slapping super kick at his show. Oh, that is big news. He announced that publicly. Yeah, because no, 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 no. <laughs> he told the boys. Yeah, he told the boys. So I mean, that's... he. I mean, what, what you guys are doing is great, but the one thing he hates or dislikes so much that every time somebody throws super kick, that shouldn't make sound. <laughs> you know, I mean, maybe once in in a while, you know, thigh slapping will will be really spectacular, right? It's like oh, connected, it hurts, right? But every single time, every single wrestler does this super kick. 
this shouldn't make any, any same sound. So thigh slapping thing is no, no at his show. Interesting. Huh? I heard a very similar story uh, at Katsuyo Shibata has um, dojo. And- oh, told New Japan dojo, don't be making noise. That's, that's not necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, he said if yeah. he catches his guys doing the thigh slaps, that's a hundred squats. For the students, Ooh, okay. he told me, okay. "Yeah, I'm, I'm dead yeah. serious. That is straight from the horse's mouth. That is, yeah. Well, he's like that. He's like old that. school. Yeah, very old school. Well, maybe once every once in a great while, that should work. But not every time you do the super kick or anybody does a super kick, mm. it shouldn't make that much sound. I've never heard <laughs> anything <laughs> like that. We've heard because we, we know what they sound like now. It doesn't sound like crow cop every time." No, no, it probably doesn't make any sound. It just looks devastating. Yeah, it's like a sound effect, you know, so it's a different mentality, you know. And a lot of the young generations wrestlers don't even know what it meant, you know, until you, they were told, you mm. know. They just thought that's what they do, right? Like, but coming from old fashioned wrestler like Tenru or younger, but Katsuyori Shibata, it's like, uh uh uh, don't be doing that. It's like, that has to be told. You know, they wouldn't know it until they were told. How's that? And when I think of Tenryu, I think of he would do something that's the total opposite of making a noise. I remember him getting so much reaction from he would like to chop some of his opponents in the throat. Do you remember how he would do that? He would chop yeah. them kind of illegal, but he would do it in the th- yeah. no noise, though. It was just how he did it. It's a, it's kind of his uh, his well, communication or or the potato to <laughs> your receipt or you know wake up you know or yeah but the, usually his tenru chop you know much like your Ric Flair's backhand chop that's like that makes a lot of noise a lot of noise you know? every time yeah every time for real for real you know how inner bleeding you know that uh, your yeah, vein killing. Yeah, it's just, just devastating. It turns red, then it turns purple. Mm. Uh, bleeding inside. Sometimes outside yeah. too. Actually, yeah, that too. Yeah, but that's uh, also a Japanese, tradi- you know, very tradition of you know the, the, their own style. I think. And and he finished against Okada, the the top star. You could say is the top star still. Yeah. Yeah, of, the, yeah. of his time, ever so how many? That's four. I mean, four like decades. somewhat uh, thirty-five years younger than he is. Yeah, yeah, could be his father. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, but uh, he wanted wanted to walk out and finish his wrestling career with somebody that's like a today's biggest superstar. And also that day, he made sure he had this original black short trunks and the black and yellow old ring boots. Mm-hmm. No more pants. You know, he had this 65-year-old Tenru come out with short black trunks, old-fashioned black and yellow old ring boots. He worked like, I mean, he can't do it, but the, that's how he wanted to look. And his natural body also, shape. Yeah. Yeah. And then also, yeah, before we, uh, we forget, we have to po- yeah, point out that the, his last protege, the guy who was carrying Tenru's bag, mm-hmm. Tomohiro, you know, Tomohiro Ishii became big superstar. Ah. You know, with New Japan. Mm-hmm. And because he was always told he's too short to be anything, right? That's right. And then proved the world wrong. Yeah, Tomohiro Ishii is one of the biggest, you know, favorite star 
not top, but uh, makes difference to have him in, on on the card and how popular he is in uh, at the building. You know, Ishii, you know, he's popular. Right? And he's very much the same spirit as Tenru. Tenru and very believable. No gimmick, no promo, you know. Self-made just man. Goes out. I think so. So a uh, little bit of Tenru is still out there. Yeah. Yeah, it's, that's what I'm getting. I see that a little bit in Shingo Takagi, too. Do you see that as well? Yeah, yeah, I guess Maybe so. just taking so. some of the uh, the style, you know, the the, the backwards elbow drop and the uh, and the mm-hmm. goo punches mm-hmm. and, the, and the backwards chops. Goo punches, yeah. Well, lots of clothesline, though. No? I, mean, mm. I mean, almost too much of clothesline, my taste. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he, uh, he comes from Dragon Gate. But uh, he's more old-fashioned. And the first dojo or first gym um, he worked out, you know, he learned was uh, Animal Hamaguchi's gym. Mm. Yeah. When he was, so he was in high a, school? Uh, right out of high school, before Dragon Gate. Mm. He came to Tokyo and joined Animal Hamaguchi's dojo, where ko- people like Kojima or Otani or so many different guys came Naito. out. Of yeah, yeah, right. So it was like a dojo before dojo, you know? So he has that uh, kind of lineage sort of too and can expect. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's very important. So yeah. I think we hit all the, the high points of Mr. Tenu's career, Mr. Pro Resu's career. Uh, I think so. Yeah. Very good. I'm happy we didn't have yeah, to. Cause we, yeah, because if you don't talk about him, it's a, he should not be forgotten. Today's wrestling fans, I don't know, the, the, the younger generation listeners out there for our program. Yeah. Should always learn the the people from the, the previous generation. Much like learning about Tenru is much like you're learning about Ric Flair or Hulk Hogan or you know what I'm saying. He's yeah. he's one of the uh, of the what what can we say? He's on the Mount Rushmore. He's on the. He's- yeah, yeah. So like it's so easy to say icon. It's like so abused. You know the word icon is so abused. So it's like a, or legend or something like that. But it's like it's hard to say he's one of a kind. But he's really you know? special because he doesn't really have an exact contemporary, and uh, he he lived through a lot of different <laughs> eras, and and he didn't stand in the shadows during those eras. He was right out in the spotlight from hustle to the UWF times to the deathmatch times to showing up in the States when he was younger, when he was more yep, prime. Yep. And actually, his, his English is pretty good, too. Well, his voice is, ah, mm. but the, more English speaking than he lets out, you know? He's a very interesting character, and, he, and you know, he's, he's still here, putting on his own show. He's still here. And as of last week, he banned a thigh-slapping super kick. He's still active. That's pretty good. He's, he's still yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't world. be doing that at his show, mm. under, under his watch. <laughs> You know, that's interesting, huh? I think so. Um, do you have any? Uh, if you had to recommend one match for a listener out there, what would you? Oh, if wow! You could just type it in on YouTube. What would the first one that comes <laughs> to mind? What opponent or or match that comes to mind? Ah, uh, well, early ni- 1990 Jumbo, Jumbo single match. One, any of them. There were uh, about seven, eight of them. I can come up with, but uh, any, any of these Jumbo single matches good. And uh, Keiji Muto single match 2002, that was? Yeah, that's must. Mm. And uh, ten, any Tenru against Riki Choshu or even the Ishingun tag team, Tenru and Ashirahara tag team match, any of, any, any of those, uh, they're all good. Mm. Different era, different wrestling. It's kind of like 70s, late 70s Ric Flair match, early 80s Ric Flair match. 
WWF era Ric Flair match back to WCW Flair match. Long hair Ric Flair, short hair Ric Flair. It's really a lot of them, right? So it's the same as Tenru. You know, you can't point out one or two. So everyone yeah. out there that's listening, just you have to do your homework on your own. There's too much to do. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. If you know, type in this. I'll link up some uh, some of these matches. That oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'll put that, it in that, the notes that, when that, we that, uh, that, post it on Patreon. Sounds good. So where okay. where can uh, people find you on the internet? Um, okay, on Twitter, Fumihiko Dayo, F-U-M-I-H-I-K-O-D-A-Y-O, Fumihiko Dayo on Twitter, or just Fumi Saito, Saito on Facebook. Message me first. Mm. Send a message <laughs> before you add. And I'm at Justin M. Nipper, K-N-I-P-P-E-R on Twitter. Um if you have any questions or if we missed anything, let us know. Let us know in the comments on Patreon or via social media. And I think next time, we talked about this earlier, but I think we're going to leapfrog over to Mr. Jumbo, Jumbo? Suta. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we have to. We have to. Because we're, we're kind of in the zone the anyway. Sure. We're in the zone. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a completely different path. But uh, We became college professor at the end. Mm-hmm. Out, out yeah. my way, out in Oregon. Yeah, yes, yes, that's right. So, uh, that's right. but a very different route than tenure, but it was at the same time. Very much so. But they were actually good friends mm. too. Yeah. Uh, and they both went to America too. So, yeah, we'll we'll get to that um we'll get to that next time. But um yeah. I guess until next time, Fumi, take it away. So long from Tokyo. Write that down, Fumi Saito. Write that down, Fumi Saito. Like that, right? 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 Like that, right?